you over tonight because uh your tags are not displayed your intro is supposed to be at the back of the car or taped up in your rss feed oh hi not a problem officer i uh must have forgotten my intro i was just hoping that we could take care of this right here in movies for when danny i'm gonna need to step you to step out of the car please yeah, no, 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 no. That's not. It's it, it's it's not. It's not going to be necessary. I just thought we could take care of this. Out of the car, please, sir. Put right your so here. put your social media links away. God, where is a Russian murderer with a fucking gun when you need him? Welcome back, motherfuckers, <laughs> to movies for when we have just got a super podcast in store for you today. You betcha. Just super. I don't know. I think this one's kind of fundy sounding. How like so? An, and just in like a general way. <laughs> like, uh, yeah, the the temperature's <laughs> dropping along with the quality, and we're dropping a new episode today. This is uh, Movies for When You're Having a Hashtag Cold Boy Winter. Dude, and how cool is it that it's releasing in the one day a year where Texas gets snow? Like, we didn't even plan yeah. that. It just happened. That's so on theme. That's so us. on theme. Hey, it made watching the movies... Um, I don't know, super relevant, I guess. It's just More like, thematically yeah. immersive. Yeah, I was immersed in Hateful Eight with, uh, with this. Man, I hate it. <laughs> We've been just cooped up inside, fireplace going, all that good stuff. Nice. But we had movies to keep us company. Uh, mm -hmm. If you'll remember, we had our second episode, I believe. Movies for when you're having a hashtag hot boy summer. Now it's a hashtag cold boy winter. What did we uh, watch this week, Denny? This week we watched our first movie was, despite being on a Coen Brothers kick, well, because of being on a Coen Brothers kick, I should say, um, Greg chose Fargo for when you're having a cold boy winter, and you probably figured that out by our intro. Um, my Now, then we'll go to our consensus pick, which was unintentional. Basically, when mm -hmm. we put together the podcast... We were both like, ah, I was going to pick Out Cold. So we decided our third movie was our mutually agreed upon Out Cold, and we each got another pick because it's our podcast and we make the rules. Um, and then we also break our own rules that we made and forget our gimmicks and stuff like that. Um, there you go. And then our third movie is my pick, The Hateful Eight. I chose it for two reasons. One, it is on my annual movie list. And two, it is the only Quentin Tarantino movie I have not seen. And he's one of my favorite directors. So, let's dive in. Hell yeah. Uh, all these movies are full of the cold. Um, yeah, this is this is a pretty good lineup. A very us lineup. With Absolutely. Like acclaimed filmmakers and then some dog shit <laughs> snowboarding boner comedy from... <laughs> the 9-11 era anyways uh, i didn't think 
I didn't think the boner jokes in the Hateful Eight were that bad. They weren't. <laughs> they weren't as good as Out Cold's. <laughs> I didn't think they were that bad. You don't have to be that harsh on it. I'm done. I'm done with you. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Samuel L. Jackson had hilarious comedic timing when he made his boner jokes in the Hateful Eight. That's right. I mean, we'll we get to. The- we, we'll get to that black dingus later. We can't all be Jason London, okay? Sometimes you have to settle for Samuel L. Jackson. Oh, okay, I can't even say that. I'm sorry. I got soul patch, but I'm not a soldier. All right, well, what's what's our first movie today? Are we Fargo. doing a, Fargo? Fargo. Oh, Far- and, and and we've got a new thing for the format. Um, at the recommendation of Jordan Wolf, uh, we're gonna start telling you guys where we watched these movies before we do the synopses. Because uh, why spoil it and then tell you where to watch it if you haven't seen it? And you know what? Jordan Wolf, just for binging our podcast and giving us a great idea that we didn't see ourselves, it's been a little while. But I hereby knight the friend of the show, Jordan Wolf. Thank you, Jordan. Congratulations to you. Thank you very much. Friend of the show. Hell yeah. I love when shows make new friends personally. I love adding friends to this show. Me um, too, brother. All right, let's go on to Fargo. I'll summarize it for us. It's my intro, and I give the synopsis. <laughs> We're not... <laughs> it's not about your damn word, Jerry. Um, Fargo, the 1996 film from the Coen brothers, can be viewed on Amazon Prime with your subscription for free. You do not need a rental or anything like that. I hate uh, it when they say that's free. When they say, well, like, it's free, I'm like, no, I already paid for this, but that does not mean it is free, Jeff Bezos. Yeah. I know that you definitely think anything under $100,000 qualifies as free, but <laughs> you know what? Nine ninety nine a month is kind of a big deal to me, brother. You're yeah. fucking welcome. Enjoy space. Hope you can have... Goddamn Martian. You can have one free drink in this club, but it costs 100 bucks to get in. I'm like, oh, okay, <laughs> exactly. cool. Yeah. Anyway, here's your free drink. Uh, it is a frozen, charming little bit of uh, North Dakota <laughs> cinema. I don't know. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Just a super time. Fargo. It's a movie about a man named Jerry, played by William H. Macy, who is in cahoots with a couple of guys. And he owes a lot of money. We're not sure to whom. We're not sure why. But he needs money in a bad way. So he's devised a plan with two criminals that they are going to kidnap his wife, demand a ransom, and then, well, Jerry's father-in-law, he's real well off, see? Um, He knows that his father-in-law is going to pay the ransom. So they're going to split the money between the criminals and Jerry, release the wife. Jerry gets some money to pay off whatever he needs. Criminals get some money. Everyone goes home happy. Like we discussed last week with the man who wasn't there, a simple, even a simple lead into a plot or a simple storyline just turns complicated. One complication leads to the next. Things snowball. Things escalate very quickly. And this is all against the backdrop of... A bunch of super far north, goofy talking, whimsical, just 
We, you could probably call them weirdos, I guess. Uh, I don't know, man. I'm like, part of me thinks that like the bit of this movie is that this wouldn't be funny to some people. It would just be life, you know. Right. Like, uh, so I don't know that they were meant to be weirdos. I, uh, I don't know. I, I did. I never lived in North Dakota, but I did live in Calgary for a, for a spell, and most people didn't talk like that. Uh, as despite stereotypes, but I remember clear as day, I'd been there for a couple months, and there was this super friendly, enthusiastic, ready to help me with anything CVS employee who talked exactly like they talk in this movie, and I was mm -hmm. just like, "There he is, the Canadian stereotype. I've <laughs> waited to meet you, sir. You do not know me, but I know you, and this is a very special day for me." And yes. <laughs> The receipt will be just fine. Yeah. <laughs> so, I don't know. It's definitely, like, it's doing the thing that's been done a million times with Southern Drawls, but they're doing it with a, with a Northern Northern American accent, and, I don't know, people legit talk like that. So, but yeah, it's exactly. definitely, they're definitely more than winking at it so i don't really know yeah <laughs> like they're think... presenting it very realistically and very fairly but they're also like we know this is a little goofy to most of you yeah 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 um let's see are we done synopsizing ready to get yeah into for sure what what's your relationship with fargo greg i i think i saw it for the first time maybe like uh 13 14 years ago something mm -hmm. like that and i think i've watched it maybe every couple of years since yeah and just like growing up and watching more and more of the coen brothers films as i got older just understanding it better and better and liking it more and more as time went on uh this i gotta double check but i think this might be the first coen brothers movie i saw because i definitely watched it before the big lebowski and I think the first time I saw it was before I saw No Country for Old Men or Oh Brother Where Art Thou. So this mm -hmm. this might have been my first Coen Brothers movie, honestly. Man, Greg, I'd say my relationship with the movie, but why repeat exactly what you just said? Mm -hmm. um, I, I think it's pretty much exactly the same. I saw it for the first time in college, right around the time I saw Oh Brother Where Art Thou. I don't remember which one was first and you know the rest i watch it pretty regularly i instantly loved it and i still love it so there that's that's my relationship with fargo hell yeah yeah it, it's it's been a little while since i saw it last and i was really i was really happy to watch it this time yeah uh i was absolutely in the mood for it even like whether <laughs> whether not really influencing it but definitely helping add to it i was really in the mood to watch this one hell yeah because there's snow on the ground outside it's icy out there watch out oh yeah watch out i want to put some chains on your tires eh yeah prowler needs a jump uh all right how do where do where do we start with this movie man um um i've got to start yeah would you consider francis fucking mcdormand francis fucking mcdormand mm -hmm. the legend herself to be the protagonist of the movie I actually did have a couple notes on that. I think this is a similar... This movie has a lot of similarities to No Country for Old Men that I think there's three main characters here, too. Oh, sure. I think there's Jerry and then um, Steve Buscemi's character 
as well as Francis McDormand. I think, and then the same with No Country for Old Men, McDormand is playing like the law enforcement character that we kind of spend a little more time with and kind of relate to the most because they're the one that kind of sees the whole thing and is talking through the whole story for what it is from kind of like an overhead view. So the audience kind of relates to them more, but we do spend a great amount of time with two other, um, I wouldn't say bad guys, but kind of bad guys, definitely bad guys. They're bad guys. What are you They're talking? bad. They're clearly bad guys. They're definitely bad guys, but we're also, you know, presented, they're presented as fairly and, um, you know, or presented the same as Frances McDormand, but she's just got a little bit more of an overhead view on the whole thing. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm trying to figure it out myself because if we defined the protagonist as the person with a goal who we are supposed to root for, um, then it's clearly Frances McDormand because we're not supposed to root for any of those other main characters, right? Yeah. Um, I did relate to William H. Macy's character, not like not relate i felt things for him i felt nervous for him you know like i i felt i felt his i felt the tension in the panic and also early in the movie before we meet francis um we don't really fully know how horrible he is right right and there there's a few clues to that too but yeah go ahead well yeah i mean like one of those clues is that he stages a kidnapping for his wife to extort his father well yeah Um, that's one of the big clues but we don't know just how deep all of this runs we think that's kind of presented as a desperate man in a desperate situation has to do something drastic to get out of it and Mm -hmm. it's it's not okay but they've just put so much sympathy on him for how poorly he keeps getting treated um you, you know like you get so much sympathy on him that you're like i guess i don't want to see you get your ass kicked for this even though you deserve it you know like i yeah. like um but uh but i don't know i guess my main I mean, and he kind of fucks off after we meet francis like we really don't get a ton more time with him like he kind of becomes a a side character but i don't know that was just my thought that i was like because i actually my only note on this movie i decided i liked not having notes last week a lot and i was going to try it out this week and just make nice only only make them if i like really really felt like i needed to remember something specific um and i did because i paused the movie and i was like if she's the protagonist we don't meet her until 35 minutes into the movie i can't think of another movie that does anything like that um with with their hero you know um and she's who we leave the movie with you know like as far as like the payoff for william h macy He's just face down, sniveling, getting drug away in handcuffs and fuck off. That That's it. You know, like we, yeah. it's to me, it's clearly a message of like, this loop is closed, but we no longer care about this little sniveling piece of shit. It just, just so you know, they got him, you know, like that wasn't like a, a payoff for the character that we invested in. It was like, yeah, uh, we told you guys to stop caring about him like an hour ago. Did it work? <laughs> did you get the message because um, you should stop caring about him now um yeah. if you I'll... still cared you're not getting a big dramatic and that's how they got me monologue you know like you're just gonna he's just gonna fuck off and get his consequences right um yeah, finally um yeah man good good call on not meeting her until like 35 ish mo- minutes into the movie yeah uh that was great 
Um, was, but yeah. it was just masterful. Like who who else who else can pull off thirty five minutes of an interesting story that keeps you engaged and emotionally invested and curious about where it's going, and doesn't give you anyone to root for? No one. Like they're yeah. all shit. Just dog shit. Except for. Uh, 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 the woman who's kidnapped. She seems fine and dandy and like a perfectly nice person who's doing her best in life. But other than her, like, and we barely get any time with her, which is another note I'll get to in a second. A uh, mental note. Um, it was so smart for the tone of this movie they were going for to hardly ever give us any time with her, because this movie, despite its really serious subject matter was definitely meant to be pretty lighthearted and kind of silly. Um, and if we really got invested in her before she was kidnapped, I don't think we could have had any more fun with it. Um, and they barely ever showed her while she was kidnapped. Like, we got hardly any time with that. She was essentially just a MacGuffin for this movie. And while I normally wouldn't support men writing a woman and then reducing her to like a story object like a plot device um i think that that was a smart move for this movie because if you really showed her suffering we would have not been able to like have the lighthearted tone they wanted for this movie you know like it would have really made this into a, a very serious drama really fast if we were told to invest in her yeah um like I've, I've complained about other movies before about like come on just like pick a tone i feel like i don't understand the tone of this movie that kind of thing but i feel like the coens are really pulling off like a, a like a winking kind of smirking comedic tone yeah. with like some super serious subject matter yeah and it is still incredibly accessible and engaging and you're just like along for the ride yeah and that's something really only they can do um well yeah i, I was gonna say it's greg they have a clear tone and it's called the cohen brothers tone and yeah it, it's 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 a, it's a thing and no one else has ever replicated it it's what they do for all their movies <laughs> it's, it's just them and their artistic voices making a movie. That's what the tone was, and that's why it worked. <laughs> that's yeah, the I've only a, way to describe it. I've got a lot more... Um, yeah, I wanted to give some more love to William H. Macy. God, he was good um, in this movie. Him as Jerry. He's like... Talk about the man that wasn't there. I feel like he's really the embodiment of that. But not for like his quietness... Or, or anything like that, like Billy Bob Thornton in that movie. Because in this movie, Jerry is just constantly, like, tense and anxious and nervous and panicky. And then no one's paying him any mind. When people talk to him, they barely look at him. Like, nobody's paying any attention to him. And he's just still, like, stressed out. Like, oh, I just got to say more, nod my head. He's, like, stammering and stuttering his way through sentences because he's, you know, trying to, like in a lot of the scenes quickly come up with lies to cover like any questions he's being asked yeah and he's bad at it and that's the and brilliance of it really bad at it but he's so good that yeah william h macy is so good at acting bad at that yeah and yeah he he was perfect for this role just like this nervous ball of panicky energy yeah that is constantly getting called out well i feel like it's uh it's something the Cohen brothers really love to do, which is tell a story about somebody breaking bad 
someone who hasn't really been a criminal in their life uh, just deciding kind of late in the game that they're going to start committing crimes and them thinking it was going to be way easier to get away with than it was and them just like constantly being in way over their head um, mm-hmm. and just being like someone who clearly has no experience in this dealing with people who have lots and lots of experience and them just mm-hmm. feeling like naked and embarrassed in front of all these people because they know that they really didn't have what it took to break bad but they're too fucking they're in too deep to go back now so they just gotta stick with their decision and commit to this crime and i i just feel like it's it's such a coen brothers thing to have like a mild-mannered uh car salesman uh decide to like pull off some fucking movie ass heist and it it, go, it goes back to what we were saying last week it's them constantly telling you if you expect life to be like a movie you will fuck up and you kind of i didn't realize it till now but you see him expecting life to be like a movie he's mm-hmm. doing this like oceans 11 ass heist within a heist um and forgetting like the real world consequences and that there's going to be like no montage that cuts to george clooney explaining it that like (laughs) the police are just gonna come get you and you're dealing with unpredictable elements and stuff that you didn't anticipate is gonna happen and you had no contingency plan because you didn't know what to expect because you've never done anything like this before (laughs) yeah like that's so just good just like in Breaking Bad, too. The wait, wait, people... I haven't seen Breaking Bad. Don't spoil it for me. If you're well, it, this is a general theme I've sort of statement. I've seen the first episode, and that's where I got that reference from. <laughs> okay, yeah. It's the general theme, basically, one of the things you'll see is just, like, the ones who suffer are the people around him. Yeah. Um, trying to force a movie-like narrative in real life, I guess, kind of like you're saying, is just, is just going to lead to consequences that may not always Im- directly impact you. Yeah. Like one of the small clues, like one, like there's obviously huge clues. Like I was saying that he's a huge piece of shit, but like some of the smaller ones, uh, there's a scene where you know the kidnappers have made the call. We have your wife, um, and Jerry's trying to set up the ransom with his father-in-law, and they're at a restaurant with the father-in-law's um, like right-hand man in his business, basically. And Jerry, they leave the restaurant, Jerry's talking to that guy, and that guy asks how Jerry's son is handling all this. Mm-hmm. And his reaction is just like, oh my god, like he, from conception of this plan until this point, he never once considered how this might affect his son. Yeah. At all. Like, they have like a, yeah, he's probably like, he's like, oh, 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 <laughs> oh, Scotty, yeah, oh, yeah, I should go talk to him. He's yeah. like a, fi- a 15-year-old 14 15 year old boy yeah um mom's just been kidnapped and he's like just now considering like oh this might i should probably talk to him (laughs) yeah and then he proceeds to not despite uh despite internalizing that that's something he should do um he He proceeds to completely fail to comfort that child in any way and yeah he he does talk to him but the conversation is basically like ah don't worry it'll be fine yeah yeah grandpa's got this under control you know it'll be fine that's what he fails to internalize is if if this plan goes perfectly like he thought it would he is still intentionally traumatized his child even if even if mom comes back in two days without a hair on her head harmed 
Um, the child lived through coming home to broken windows and ripped up shower curtains and a ransacked house. Mm-hmm. And his mom was gone and he worried about her and thought he would never see her again and couldn't do anything about it. And so even if it went perfectly, which it didn't, um, <laughs> he never considered that like, you can't undo that experience that you gave your child. Like, it's not like that'll all be better because she came back. Like he's going to be scarred for life and traumatized by this, whether yeah. or not mom comes back. Right. Like, um, and I, I just, I, go ahead. I, I just, sorry. I just had a quick question. That's kind of a new topic. Uh, were you like oh, wrapping up a thought there? No. Yeah. I was just going to wrap up that. I realized as we were talking that Jerry is basically the oldest archetype there is. And it's incredibly simple. Um, he is the fool. Um, Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. you constantly see that in the sense that he makes this plan thinking that he holds all the cards and just at every step of the way he finds out he holds none of them and people keep telling him no and he says you can't tell me no and they're just like yes we fucking can how about you fuck off man no (laughs) like he just he just constantly underestimated how little bargaining power he had with anyone he was dealing with and he just assumed that he would just tell people what to do and they would do it exactly like he said and that was his plan and never once considered that maybe they won't like his idea or maybe they won't believe him or maybe they'll want to take matters into their own hands and there's like literally nothing he could do to stop them it's just a man without any sort of control yeah just just trying to grasp at some kind of control and it's just like it's the same thing he's probably gone through his whole life just all coming to a head uh i forget like i just get so anxious watching his narrative man it's yeah i used to get it when i would watch always sunny i would just be like (laughs) i would just be like don't do that it's gonna no what are you doing you're making it worse and then a couple seasons into Always Sunny, I realized this is a show without consequences. And um, <laughs> so <laughs> it stopped stressing me out. But it's it's just, no matter how many times I see this movie, I just get nervous when I watch people make horrible decisions. Like, it just, it gets to me. It gets, like, my old, my stomach tightens up and I just get so worried that I'm like, that is such a bad idea. The cops are going to take you to jail please don't do this and then he does what he always does when i watch the movie which somehow surprises me <laughs> just keeps repeating his, his choices when i rewatch this but go ahead you had a new a new topic i i totally forgot what it was okay. <laughs> I, I cannot remember all right I, I got a i got a topic in my back pocket oh i've got several that we could go through but what you got um francis fucking mcdormand um her character um, is a master class in, in something that I really appreciate and, and a value I hold in life. And it's simply this, that you can be excessively respectful and kind to everyone always while taking absolutely no shit from anyone ever. Um, mm-hmm. You do not have to be an aggressive douchebag to... Uh, utilize the power that you have and to protect yourself you can be respectful you can be kind and you can be respectful and kind to people who do not deserve it 
and never take a single ounce of bullshit from anyone. And a, a phrase that I often live by when I see like authority figures uh, or parents or whatever it is just being really controlling, I'll always say a tight grip implies a weak hand. And Frances McDormand's character knows she has a strong hand, so she does not have to grip very tightly. Right? Mm-hmm. Like, that's that's how she she approaches the world. She knows who she is, what her goals are, and what her authority is. And she doesn't need to walk around trying to convince everyone of it. She enters every room pregnant belly first, which is, like, one of the most visual representations of vulnerability. Right? Like, mm-hmm. you've got... She's carrying quite a a load. Yep. (laughs) You've got a full-grown baby sticking out of you that's very fragile. Um, You know, like, that. you don't Mm want to bump into anything. It could have some really serious consequences, and that's what vulnerability is. And she never overcompensates for that in any way. She actually draws attention to it. You know, like, that's that's just... I, I just love... I love the writing and performance of her character in that way so, so much. Yeah, and and she's always willing to say like, oh, you know, carrying quite a load here, and yep. just like, but not use it as like, uh, you better, not use it as a tool to gain respect or anything like that. No, she's just it's like, ah, oh, this is just part of life. It's a I need to sit down tool. Do you have a chair? Because yeah. I'm carrying <laughs> yeah. quite a load. My back. She hurts. uses it as a tool to get a chair. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Which she more than she is more than entitled to doing. Uh, investigative police work in the tundra while she is like looks to be about eight months pregnant (laughs) yeah like she's she she's earned her chair not that she needed to earn it but if there was any question (laughs) and she she deserves to sit down if she feels like it and she deserves to eat this might be one of the most food focused coen brothers films (laughs) i have ever seen and it is not nice food it is 1987 Arby's. It is buffet food. It is fast food. We get a lot of shots of food, and everybody's eating it all the time. Well, don't forget. I uh, love don't forget it. my favorite gourmet brunch item: some eggs. Some eggs. <laughs> Norm made eggs. Oh, <laughs> dude. Speaking of Norm, John Carroll Lynch. Criminally underrated actor. Love that guy. What else is uh, he, he in? He's great in this movie, but I, I don't uh, know Zodiac. Haven't seen he, it. Oh, it's he's good in that. Okay. He plays the Zodiac killer, or does he? Ooh. 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 I didn't dude, he landed a Ted Cruz biopic. That's impressive. <laughs> dude. Oh my god. Speaking of snow falling here in Texas. <laughs> Dude, if his daughters make him go to Mexico again, I'm going to be so pissed. At them, but not him, because he's a yeah, wonderful representative who would never, His ever evil do daughters make yeah. him go to Cancun. I'm going to be so mad at them. It's just so cool when the most powerful people in the world refuse to take responsibility for their decisions and blame their children. I just, <laughs> what, a, what a cool guy move. One I of need... the most powerful people on earth 
What a man. And, Dude, and I need some just, teenage daughters. He's just a slave to those damn teenage daughters that force yeah. him to do things. God, I man. Need, I, need a better, I need better scapegoats in my life. Don't they like butter? Didn't he tweet about how much they like butter or something one time? Oh, God, I don't care. That's enough cruise talk. <laughs> but I wanted to tell you the cruise news. <laughs> the news. Let me tell you, Grace. Or, Grace. Fuck, Greg. Um, I still have some COVID brain fog. Um, I uh, I wrote a letter to Ted Cruz and lied and said I was a Republican voter that uh, that would never vote Republican again if he didn't, uh, you know, be nice to gay people or something. I forget why. I wrote him a lot of letters. Um, Should have said fix out, the power grid. The only that was also that was well after also. I, that was well after I gave up um, <laughs> because it turns out he didn't really do anything, but he did put me on his cruise news mailing list. And uh, let me tell you, man, I got a really nice flyer delivered to my house that uh, really intensified my pre-existing fear of Mexican people. <laughs> just kidding well okay Minnie. <laughs> that's what the flyer was designed to do but unfortunately for the flyer and the rhetoric i did not have a pre-existing fear of mexican people so i was just like holy shit i can't believe they're this blatantly racist when they send out uh newsletters wow man if i was like 70 i can't imagine what this would do to me the fear it would strike into my heart um good thing it's gonna go right in the trash <laughs> and i got myself off his fucking mailing list <laughs> this has been politics corner with denny taylor if you'd like to be part of one of denny taylor's favorite pranks send him your email and he will submit it to a conservative politician's mailing list without your knowledge and you'll just start getting shit from <laughs> absolutely terrible <laughs> hey where it, were we? Fargo? It makes Ted Cruz waste a stamp. What's better than that? You fund the postal service and you... Well, people need those little stamps, you know? <laughs> I mean, you know... When they got left over with the big ones and the postage goes up. Exactly. And I hope that you might even get a Mallard stamp if, if, I, if I pull this prank on you. Man, did we... <laughs> Greg, way to, way to bring it back around. I'm really trying my best here. I want to talk about the score. I don't know how to transition to that from Ted Cruz at all. Um, I, I've got a perfect segue. How um, about Ted with Cruz the sledgehammer? Ted Cruz did not score this movie. But you know what is good about the score for this movie? It's all it's of these things. It's simplistic and beautiful. I don't even remember the score. Tell me all about it, dog. It's, it's understated. It's just kind of some low strings. It's... It's got its big grandiose moments, but it's always accompanied with like slow camera movements with big scenery shots against a wide expanse of just a tundra. And it's just kind of this fitting string music and big orchestra sounds without like a rapidness to them. It's paced as slowly as the um setting kind of is yeah i think it's great i i, uh, I love the i love the soundtrack for this movie I, I can't really chop it up with you because i don't recall the score but uh honestly i think that's probably a good thing about a score much like a, a referee in a pro wrestling match everyone thinks the ref is useless the ref is actually a really really significant part of the match that has a lot of responsibilities that no one gives credit for but if the ref does their job you will think that they were useless um and they'll just blend <laughs> right in and i would say this score not standing out to me uh 
means it did its job really well, right? Like, if you were a composer, you would want the score to enhance the movie but not take attention away from it, right? And I think this is not meant to be a backhanded compliment that I don't remember it, you know? But, like, I'm saying, like, mm-hmm. then that means it worked. Good job. I'm sure it was amazing. And that might yeah. be why it didn't make a massive impression on me, you know? It, it's one of those things that, like, I couldn't hum it for you a few days ago but then i watch it and i'm just like right back in it i hear it again and i'm like oh man i love this part and it's gonna go like this and yeah i rem- I, I picked up on it uh, upon watching it again but yeah it just does the job perfectly mm-hmm. yeah. speaking of doing the job perfectly I don't know. Everybody, pick 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 any actor. Harv say- Presnell. Harv Presnell. He does his job perfectly here again. We talked about him in Patch Adams. He's back, and he's being shot. <laughs> unfortunately, he's such a perfect. He's just trying to watch the Gophers, kind of like shrewd, but also like understanding, but just kind of a generally disappointing father-in-law. Oh, yeah. He's a strong actor and a really strong character here. Yeah, and it was amazing that, like, you know, you look at that role on paper and it's, like, rich northern businessman who is emotionally constipated and is condescending. You look Mm -hmm. at it and you're like, is there really that much for an actor to do with that? And then you see the performance and you're like, oh, yes. (laughs) You know, like, it's not Uh really a juicy role, you know? (laughs) It's pretty pretty boilerplate, pretty uh, one-size-fits-all, and... I thought he really made it his own and he did a really good job and he died a noble North Dakota death with his last words being, oh, geez. Oh, geez. <laughs> that was the Just whole time. Just a little bit slower. <laughs> that whole time I was kind of like, uh, maybe this is just funny to me because I'm from the South. And then uh, that slow-mo moment was like, hey, if there was any question that we were making fun of these guys for being so damn cute with how they express frustration not anymore we're kind of taking the piss a little bit (laughs) it's just yeah exactly (laughs) that's the thing is it's just like all of these characters are just so fucking cute they just say cute little things all the time they've got cute little accents most of them are kind of mousy small people kind of meek you know like they're just so Mm -hmm. they're just so fucking cute (laughs) like i I love it it makes me so happy to watch them Look at him go. (laughs) Look at him go. Look at him trying his best. (laughs) Um, It's it's one thing that the Coen brothers do. I talked at length about minor characters being larger than life in um, The Man Who Wasn't There last week. Yeah. This is like the prime example of peak minor character greatness for coen brothers and i think part of it is the way they kind of will uh film the scenes with minor characters like when uh francis mcdormand is talking to the two prostitutes like in the bar the way the coen brothers will shoot conversations you know normally you'll get like a camera back here behind the lead character's shoulder and then it'll be focused on those two and then the reverse shot is behind those two characters looking at the main character the way they set it up is it's still a little off angle so the the actors aren't looking straight in the lens Mm -hmm. 
Um, but the camera is still sitting right in front of the actors in the scene. So you get the actors and their performance and then also the setting where they're in. And then the character we're familiar with isn't in the shot. Mm-hmm. So we're not connected to them. We're connecting with where these characters are and the setting that they're in. And then when we do the reverse shot for the main character, we're in the bar with Frances McDormand. You know, uh, we feel like she's she's somewhat familiar, but she's in an unfamiliar place. Yeah, kind yeah. of. Yeah. I, I really and this is one of the best examples of the way they do that. Um, they do similar with No Country for Old Men, but we'll talk about that uh, another day, I suppose. That is fantastic insight and. Much like the score, you're teaching me things, brother. I uh, This was definitely a movie where I was just kind of like, the accents were fun. Um, but no, you're, oh, making, yeah. you're making fantastic, fantastic points, man. Like, thank you, thank you. That's, that's a beautiful thing to notice and appreciate. Yeah, and it's just, you need more focus on them. If you're going to have, you know, you've got to showcase their natural humanity basically like it feel the way they have minor characters set up they just feel like they're two people plucked off the street not actors like these are people that are from here and really talk like this mm-hmm. and the way they frame that and just present the people feels like they're not actors mm-hmm. which is great because you you can't tell like did they just pull these people like did they just ask them if they wanted to be in a movie that's what it feels like sometimes (laughs) yeah no absolutely it definitely has a a very authentic feel and especially just like little quirks in the dialogue like the uh the the vanity plate joke the way that's delivered that's that's how people talk not how you write a movie script you know um Uh people do have like little dumb moments like that where they're like have you ever heard this joke then they tell the joke and they're like oh yeah i have heard that joke it's a good one yeah it is a good one no one would write that for dialogue but it's absolutely (laughs) something we've all experienced and relate to and it just um it made all the characters seem very charmingly normal you know like that it's like oh we kind of get like a behind the scenes look into their lives you know like we see we see little glimpses of their lives that wouldn't be in a movie and it just makes it all feel uh more connected more like you know just fleshed out i suppose yeah flesh out is 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 a good way to put it ah oh, man i could go on and on mm-hmm. uh the satchel i can't I, I couldn't find if it was the exact same prop from no country for old men but it is the same satchel that they use for like carrying the money in this movie carrying the money in no country for old oh, men oh shit really and i read somewhere that it's also the same satchel that they use in lady killers but that doesn't matter we don't talk about that movie we, we don't talk about that movie well we you... talk about it a lot and we tell people not to watch it <laughs> there we go and i have it so i'll continue to not do so um yeah there there's a movie actually uh it's called kamiko the treasure hunter and it's uh it's about a kind of dissociated japanese woman who believes that she can find that satchel of money because she believes that a vhs of fargo that she found is actually a treasure map of sorts i i i learned about this when i was like kind of scrolling through stuff on this movie and i learned about that movie i was i was kind of interested in it i haven't i didn't look too much into it Mm -hmm. 
That's I've, that's I've, pretty interesting. I'd though. watch the shit out of that, man. I'd yeah, watch that I, movie. I bet she finds it. Um, I, I had one more thought that I, I honestly just more of a little piece of trivia, and that I'm ready for gimmicks. I don't know about you. Yeah, sure. Um, little piece of trivia. Um, the Big Lebowski references this movie repeatedly, and it is when every time someone says shut the fuck up donnie um the coen brothers intentionally did that as a as a gag because steve buscemi's character talks too much in fargo and the next movie he made with them was the big lebowski so they made a character who hardly ever talked but everyone always told him to shut the fuck up because um because of this movie that's that's where that bit comes from which i just think is really cool i love that man and they wrote this role in Fargo specifically for Steve Buscemi. Oh, they did? You know, I mean, I believe yeah. that at face value. I just didn't know it. It totally He's, checks out. He is funny looking, you know? <laughs> in a general kind of way. <laughs> I always wondered how, like, I always wondered how, like, as an actor, I would feel. You know, like, as a human being. Mm-hmm. Um, like, if, hey, this wasn't in the original script I got. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, we added that when we yeah. cast you. <laughs> I've always just oh, wondered. Shit. I've got to imagine that if you're, like, vulnerable enough to make movies and, you know, just, like, put yourself out there like that and just deal with all the shit actors deal with, all of the, like, things that seem extremely unappealing about being famous, um, I've got to imagine you'd probably have to have pretty thick skin and a decent sense of humor about yourself. Um when you are essentially a human commodity you know like saying saying tom cruise is in this movie is a lot like saying this burger has cheese on it from a marketing standpoint you know (laughs) um you're you're very commodified and so i'd have to i'd have to assume you kind of know who you are and you're okay with it otherwise that would break you it would probably break me you know um but um i just always wondered what it would be like to be kind of funny looking know that you're kind of funny looking not have people bring it up because it's rude and then have someone like be like yeah we're gonna put that in a movie like we're gonna we're gonna acknowledge that you're a pretty funny looking guy more than once as a gag. part of the reason you're here <laughs> and, pe- and people will laugh because it's true you are kind of funny mm-hmm. looking i've just always wondered like how the human behind the celebrity would emotionally feel about something like that like <laughs> I've got to think it, that Steve was okay with it, but man, I I think it would, I don't know. I, I don't want to know what insecurities that would bring up in me. I, I just hope no one ever does it to me. <laughs> yeah. I feel like Steve knows. Actually, right, I changed um, my mind. If you want to write a Coen Brothers movie uh, based around me being in it, you can make fun of me. Go ahead. I, I changed what my you mind. Want yeah you can you can be like you know the the guy with the shitty movie podcast who no one likes um and i'd be like yeah i'll be in the movie i'm not proud of it i'm losing some respect for myself but uh yeah i'll do it (laughs) thanks joel man all right um we did it man ready to do gimmick of the week gimmick of the week gimmick of the week is our favorite winter frustration if you're having a cold boy winter some things are frustrating about winter and they're showcased in these movies danny what was your favorite winter frustration for fargo um i think i'm gonna this was open for interpretation i think i'm gonna have to go with uh you know 
when it's cold um, and you need something to warm you up and there's just not any ready-made wood and your wood chipper is just not working fast enough. Um, I can't tell you how many times I've just been like, oh, come on, wood chipper. I'm trying to get something done here. Mm-hmm. How about you chip a little faster? And then the police show up. <laughs> yeah. And Bless the... you. <laughs> Excuse me. Uh, my favorite winter annoyance is uh, having the sniffles, I suppose, based on those sneezes. Um, but, yeah, I'm going to go with when your wood chipper is not working fast enough for the job you need done. Man, very good. I like it. We didn't even mention the wood chipper. I was actually kind of surprised that we that, – that's like – what it's the climax movie... kind of of the movie dude it's like it's what it's famous for it's what people think of when you say fargo oh yeah the wood chipper movie yep <laughs> that's that's yep, i'm yep, surprised yep. we got maybe it's just because like what is there worth saying in a public forum that hasn't already been said about the wood chipper scene it fucking rules. we like it we like it it's a great it's scene. good it's a great scene great visual nothing like and you know what was a really nice touch that really made it feel more human that the foot still had a sock on it like that there mm-hmm. was just something like oh that's a body part not a prop and, and i think yep. i think it was the sock um i think that's what made it seem very real maybe it's because you couldn't see a plastic cast of a foot and no it's not really a foot but i don't know i don't even think it's that i think it's that i've seen a lot of dismembered legs in movies but never one with just a sock on Mm-hmm. <laughs> no kidding greg i think you're on to something what's your favorite winter annoyance um uh, mine has got to be when jerry is just he finds out he's not going to be getting an investment directly from his father-in-law and he goes back out to his car and he's got to scrape off his windshield and he's just oh. angrily starting to scrape off the ice and it's just Ah, he just throws his ice scraper and gets pissed off. Takes a deep breath, picks it back up, and keeps scraping his windshield. Fuck scraping the windshield. I hate it. That stuff sucks so much. I will co-sign that statement. Jerry knows what we're about. Yep, Yep. I'm with you. Denny, what's your favorite line from Fargo? This is hard to choose because there's so many good ones. Boy, is it. I'm going to have to go with a meaningful one. Um, but I'll give a runner up. Um, there has just always been something again, it comes back to the, uh, I feel like I'm seeing something from real life that doesn't belong in a movie. Um, Mm -hmm. and it kind of just makes me feel like almost, uh, this, this word, I don't mean to imply the connotation because it's only you, it's like saying intercourse, even though that doesn't always mean sex, you know? Um, Mm -hmm. but it, it feels voyeuristic, you know, like it kind of feels like, I'm seeing the part of these characters' lives that I really shouldn't see because it's not really relevant to the movie, you know? Um, Mm -hmm. But repeated twice, this line has just always stuck with me. Oh, fuck, I have to give two runners up. Shit. Um, That wasn't in the movie. No, I'll give give Mm -hmm. my second runner up if it's not one of your favorites. I'll only only risk spoiling two lines. Um, But my first runner-up that I just gave a backstory to is, you gotta eat a breakfast, Marge. I'll fix you some eggs repeated two times verbatim. Like we've all been there when someone we care about is going to leave the house in a hurry. And we're worried that like, they'll get no, they'll no. get too hungry during the day because they didn't eat breakfast. 
but they're also just... concerned that you didn't get enough sleep you're just like yeah. nope i'm already up i need to take care of you i'll fix you some eggs <laughs> you gotta uh, have a breakfast so that that's my runner-up um i have a i have a third place runner-up but i'll save it if it's not one of yours and my my number one is ugh, i have a goddamn fourth place runner-up i'm gonna give the other two if you don't come on them. okay the one <laughs> you can't have that many the one i am picking is is and one of is the only one that i that's actually serious out of all these lines i loved so much and that's why i'm choosing it i think um, i know what it is but go ahead so i've talked a little bit about my uh my affinity for the existentialist philosophy um and part of what i'm really learning through existentialist teachings that's really resonating with me is that there is a simple painstakingly obvious not philosophically deep at all truth that is really what our calling is in life and it's that we should cultivate love um, that you will live the best life you can if you surround yourself with people who you truly love and you disengage from people who you do not love and you spend time doing things you love and you decrease the amount of time spending things you do not love and that we should just fill our lives with love. And this movie, I've just never seen something that affirms that this is the best path you can possibly take in life. And it's summed up with, heck, Norm, you know, we're doing pretty good. God, it just hmm. gets to me. Because hmm. I look at that as, as someone who has had just these, like, wild fantasies of the legendary life i wanted to live and who got a little taste of that and found out it fucking sucked and it's not what i wanted at all i look at my simple life now and the things that truly bring me joy are being around the people i love watching movies i love going to a job i love and instead of being some massively successful professional wrestler like I thought I wanted to be for years, and honestly, let's be real, probably couldn't have been even if I stuck with it, um, I, I put my arm around Vanessa and watch a TV show that I really like. And oh, can I elaborate a little more? Can I elaborate sure. a little bit more? I don't want to ramble on too much. I know I, uh, you can give me a shut the fuck up, Denny. Uh, <laughs> um, but man a lot of people may know this I had a little bit of a fling with professional wrestling and it was a lifelong dream and I was doing a lot better at it than I thought I would but there was one problem it didn't help me love myself at all um, so I quit and after that when I quit I felt really sure that what I was doing was the right thing and I felt really confident and okay with my choice and was very much like, dude, sometimes you've got to open a door just to close it. You know, like, and I'm okay with that. That's, I needed to open this door. And now I'm ready to close it. And that's that's all I needed. And I never thought this was what it would be. Um, and then as my life just kept getting worse and worse after that decision, um, I started to view it as possibly a point where it all went wrong, where I might have where I might have bailed on something that would have been a really good path for me, and I really started to question myself. And you know what? 
I got real fucking mentally ill in those years and had a gnarly case of PTSD. And I kind of viewed my mental illness as something that was holding me back from living my dreams. And I thought I could prove to myself that I was over my mental illness and that I'd resolved my trauma if I finally got back in a wrestling ring. And I found a local promotion that was willing to let me come set up the ring. And I thought, hell, I'm going to show up in the best shape I can and train my ass off in the three weeks leading up to this. And I'm going to see if I can get booked on this show. Um, and I got there. The ring was already set up. Fuck. <laughs> Felt like a jackass. Um, they, Everyone was really nice to me. And they let me get in the ring and take a couple bumps. And I did that. And then the show started. And I knew... If I wanted to get booked next time, the move was to stay the whole show and help them take down the ring and load it into a truck at midnight in the cold, and that's how you pay your dues. And just as like the opening match was starting, I just had this unbelievable clarity deep in my heart of hearts of like, dude, I don't want to be here right now. I want to go home and watch TV with Vanessa. This isn't what I want to do anymore. Why am I trying this? I've already tried this, and it didn't make me happy. I don't want to be here. I want to go home and watch TV with Vanessa. So I did. I just left and didn't say goodbye. I just went home and watched TV with Vanessa. And this time, Greg, this time, I stayed happy with my decision. And so, mm -hmm. I relate to that so powerfully. When you juxtapose Frances McDormand and her husband's life with all of these crazy shenanigans that are extremely interesting, and their life is, by comparison, really not very interesting at all. No one's going to be talking about them 100 years after they die. No one's ever going to know they existed. Um, and for them to, like have a baby on the way talk about a big personal success of landing some of your artwork on a local stamp and just cuddle up in the bed turn on the tv and look at each other and say you know we're doing pretty good man i felt that and it really affirmed to me i was like yeah i'm doing pretty good me and vanessa are doing pretty good I'm pretty happy with this path I've chosen. Damn. I've got two more funny lines to talk about if you don't like, pick them. <laughs> I was about to say, I don't really have a follow-up here. Um, <laughs> Let me utilize my gift for levity. I did not plan to talk that much, but in the moment I felt like I needed to. Yeah. I love it. I love I love hearing you open up more about that, and yeah, it's, it's cool to see your life decisions really paying off even though it may not pay off in a traditional sense yeah you know it's yeah. not like you're achieving like a big spotlight you're just doing something that feels right for you and you got there and you figured out that that's what you needed hell yeah could i could i share with you a poem i wrote in therapy sure i dreamt i'd be a famous wrestler i dreamt i'd be a famous evangelist 
I dreamt I'd be a famous filmmaker. I dreamt I'd be worthy. And that last one came true. Mm-hmm. Man, yeah. I mean it. I mean it. I've never shared that with anyone. Now you shared it with everyone. Yeah. Hope it. There uh, you go. Hope you know you're worthy, everyone. Because that's my secret cap. I'm always worthy. <laughs> we don't do Marvel movies. We never said that. I want to. <laughs> I want to do Guardians in the Spider-Man trilogy one day. Yeah. I I really want to talk about the Eternals. I'll. <laughs> I've got some I'm thoughts and feelings I'm never gonna about watch Avengers that. Endgame. I'm not going to watch Eternals. I'm never going to watch that I, shit. I literally Dude. said to someone this week when we were talking about bullshit Marvel movies and how I was like, Dude, I was invested for real until Endgame. And then that was over. And now I'm just like, why are we still doing this? Why are we yeah. still making Shang-Chi? And the person went, hey, Shang-Chi was actually pretty good. And I was like, fine, I didn't see it why are we still making Eternals? We accept that? And they're like, yeah, yeah, why are we still making Eternals? <laughs> Dude, we watched... We watched, uh, like, it was kind of late one night. We watched, like, the first 90 minutes of Black Widow. And we were just like, all right, uh, time to go to bed. And we are just like, you want to finish it? Nah. <laughs> it, it, it's It's, like, visually an incredible action movie. But it's just, I feel like there's just no soul Dude. to be found in there. Like, I just don't care. As someone who is, like, not too pretentious to admit that there are some Marvel movies I really like. And there are times oh, yeah. in Marvel movies and characters that I really feel things for. Um, the three characters I care about the least are black widow the falcon and hawkeye just like jesus christ who gives a shit yeah, i guess like, who's all getting a mini series or their own movie i'm aware and you know what the biggest travesty in all this is greg i just want to see spider-man dude well yeah he rules but scarlett johansson is a fantastic performer and she is going to go down in history for her most boring role and she still yeah. shocks people when she like shows up in jojo rabbit and crushes it and they're like i thought she was just like some marvel actor and i'm like go watch ghost world or fucking got... ask the man who wasn't there she has always been good she's a fantastic actor who's in a boring ass marvel movie she got nominated for two oscars in the same year so yeah. and you know what get the fuck out of here scarlet get your bag i'd do the same yeah exactly get get rich and and let them be ignorant you keep making art when you don't have to. Like, you could coast on your laurels and cast and cash a check, but you choose to cash a check and not coast on your laurels, and that's what makes you a hero. You did right. both. Anyway, what's your favorite fucking line, Greg? Yeah, Jesus. we've been doing favorite lines for like 20 I minutes. I just did a whole um, other podcast on personal growth in the MCU. Jesus fucking Christ, what's your favorite line from Fargo? Sorry, uh, my runner. My runner-up is a piece of text that says, Out of respect for the dead, the rest have been has been told exactly as it occurred. <laughs> this is not actually based on a true story. The Coen brothers lied. Which I think is fucking awesome. Shocker. But my favorite line is Mike Yanagita saying, You're such a super lady! God, that's great. I love Mike Yanagita. We all do. Yep. I Except do for Miss Cooksey. Yep. I mean... 
He's no Stan Grossman. <laughs> um, okay, I'm going to share my other two lines really quick just because I love them so much. I want there to be an homage. One is, uh, and for what? For a little bit of money. I thought that was going to be your favorite yeah. line. There's more to life than a little money, you know. She's scolding this serial killer in her backseat like mm-hmm. a mom teaching a toddler a lesson about sharing. Um, <laughs> and then one that I just fucking am just charmed with the delivery of is, oh, I'm not sure I agree with you 100% on your police work, Luke. <laughs> just, <laughs> just so fucking charming the way Francis McDormand so says good. it. All right, man. I'll 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 call it here. What's your what's your critic or score? Um, I think this might be the first time I've given this particular number on a movie. Nice. Um, this is upper tier Coen Brothers movies, which is basically saying it's upper tier movies. Yep. I gave this one a thirty-eight out of forty. Very nice. Very well deserved. Um, I bumped it down from a 46 to a 45, and I don't know why. Bumping it back up to a 46 out of 50. Um, There you go. My reasoning for that is because it's very, very, very good. And I don't feel the need to elaborate further. That's literally (laughs) my my whole reason for that score. I'm not just being brief as an apology for uh, for telling you about my life, even though no one asked. Um, but um, it's, that's just, yeah, it's really fucking good. That's my explanation for why I rated it that. <laughs> and that, and that's all we need. Dude, honestly, like, with this weather now, I feel like watching it again already. Hell yeah. And it's only been, like, a few days. I'd watch it again, shit. Kiss your apocalypse for the last, last time. Run away, run away, run away again. Fine. Anytime you think you change your mind. Anytime you want, jump back to me anytime. Rick Rambis snowboards down a mountain as Todd Packer narrates. Seamless edit, everybody. Welcome back. Uh, (laughs) If you couldn't figure it out, which I doubt you could, we're here to talk about a little movie called Out cold a millennial generational classic every millennial loves this movie and i guarantee everyone from gen z doesn't understand why let me tell you kids you had to be there because it hasn't really aged that well (laughs) (laughs) oh man i was gonna say you really did have to be there because this whole movie oh man we'll get into that later um Denny, this is our consensus pick. Uh, I'll summarize it for us, but first I'll say... You can't get this movie on Netflix. It's not on Hulu. You gotta pay for a digital rental if you want to see this. Or you can look in your stepbrother's sock drawer from 2005 and find it underneath a DVD copy of... uh, Fucking Old School or wedding crashers yep. or something yep yeah i uh i watched this on dvd and uh i've had it on dvd for a long time didn't even check if it was on a streaming service because i didn't need to it was sitting under i love you man i'm right about this wow that wouldn't was have been that close a, that would have been like uh 08 09 yeah i'm just saying your your dvd oh so you just kind of oh. put them in the same yeah the dvd you put them in the same category yes you know what I'm yeah um out cold is a movie that's basically if a 14 year old um 
saw Casablanca <laughs> and thought it was wow. too inaccessible, so they needed to make it a little more hip. <laughs> I was going to say, if a 14-year-old fused together a wallet chain, a can of Sobe, and some Oakley snowboard goggles and distilled it into a movie, it would be this. Who, buddy? Oh, man. Uh, the real plot is there's a, there's a mountain... Um, a, a ski resort in Alaska. A bunch of dudes work there at the ski resort, and they're snowboarding, and they've got like a fun bunch of traditions. And then some guy wants to buy the summer camp. Oh, sorry, I mean the ski resort. <laughs> and then they have to. Um... <laughs> You see where I'm going with this? I do, Greg. Some I some really rich do. tycoon wants to buy the ski resort. And he's promising improvement, but he's just going to rule with an iron fist and make all these changes for the sake of money. But you know what? We love this place. It's our home. We don't know anything else. And we're going to fight to keep what's ours. <laughs> yep. Soundtrack by Creed and Some 41. <laughs> In... In your local Circuit City this August. Creed All wasn't right. on it. <laughs> Some 41 Cre was. Creed wasn't, but Some 41 yeah, was. Yes, yeah, they were. Um, <laughs> Greg, what's your relationship with this movie? Never seen it. Really? Oh. Yeah, I miss this one. When we, when we landed on the theme for this episode, I was just thinking of, like, you know, it's called Cold Boy Summer. So I was thinking no. something along the lines of Hot Rod. I was just thinking, like, what was a dude movie that I kind of miss and that was, like, winter-based? And like, Turns this, out there the, was only one. <laughs> turns out there was only this one. <laughs> oh, but I was wrong. But, yeah, the, the, the title for this movie popped in my head. I was just like, I don't, I haven't seen it, but I feel like Out Cold was like a comedy from when I was like a teenager or something. Yeah. That was about obviously from the title based on winter and stuff. So I you we text each other, I was like, I was honestly gonna pick that too. So it became our consensus pick. I saw it for the first time today. Wow. Wow. Um, Greg somehow missed that ski lift, I mean train. Well, if there's one thing I've learned from this podcast, it's be very careful with your ski lifts. <laughs> <laughs> Um, Greg, we're going to be really yin and yang for this because, uh, well, I took a girl I liked on what I thought was a date to see out cold when I was in seventh grade. Um, uh, what I thought was a date. You just summarized middle school dating for me. Well, you know, you can see how there was some gray area, um, because, well... <laughs> If you ask me, my father paid for the tickets, so that's basically a wedding, culturally speaking. Um, but also, she <laughs> she brought a friend, and I brought a friend, and it was undetermined if they had crushes on each other. Um, I think, I think in retrospect, it may not have been a date. Uh, based on uh, uh, how 
nothing else ever happened after it <laughs> there was never another one so if it was a date it was a really bad one but you know what and if it was a date it was news to her yeah um yeah <laughs> i didn't learn to be clear with my intentions until i was around 20 and i didn't learn how that's to, good and i didn't learn how to be successful with that until i was around 25 and that was right around the time i married vanessa so i was about to say also good <laughs> um so all that so goes things to say, worked out i but greg i have more for my relationship with this movie that yeah yeah, yeah please um from the time i was in seventh grade to the time i was in 10th grade it was my favorite movie um and unfortunately okay. it was dethroned by pirates of the caribbean 2 because what can i say i'm a sucker for bill nighy's character work <laughs> um, but greg when this was a new you want to hear the most millennial thing you could ever hear ever it was Ooh. a new release on the summer break between seventh and eighth grade at blockbuster so every three days i would ride my bike to blockbuster first thing in the morning re-rent the video or the dvd so i could continue watching it every day and buy a vanilla coke because i loved vanilla coke and they had just God come out damn. in bottle form um yeah and that those were that was glorious those are some of the happiest memories ha some of the happiest summer movies i ever have is literally it's you know like to to quote abed nadir of like why wouldn't you stop re-renting it my answer is simple because no one else deserved it <laughs> um and not not only did this shape my taste in cinema um it also shaped my taste in music i think uh i think the out cold soundtrack is patient zero of my lifelong love of pop punk so <laughs> i i also owned the like cd physical media copy and would just lay in my bed and listen to it over and over again and think about I'm, how Jack Johnson songs are fucking deep. <laughs> I, I'm 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 shaking my head as if I'm passing judgment, but I everything you said it was the most under, understandable and relatable shit I've ever heard. <laughs> like I I hate that you're saying it because I see myself in this. Maybe not about this movie yeah. slash CD soundtrack, but damn do i love a vanilla coke man oh it's so good it's remember when it remember when that came oh it's so good you can i'll trade you all the dr pepper in the world for a case of vanilla coke brother what? hey man i've i spent most of my life in texas dr pepper sucks i wouldn't i i hate it i wouldn't it's go nasty as, i wouldn't go as far as to say dr pepper sucks i would just say i like vanilla coke infinitely oh yeah totally understandable <laughs> um, i'm saying dr pepper's nasty <laughs> And so this get it is, out of here. This is what we have to get into, and um, I just think we should get it out of the way early. Um, Yo, yes. I will. Which, I will. Which... I'll always have a sentimental <laughs> attachment to this movie. Um, I was very excited to show it to Vanessa when we first got married, and uh, it worked out about uh, the same as the first time I saw it with a girl I liked. Uh, <laughs> 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 but. Uh, so why 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 because like dude like i'm telling you of the three movies that we covered this week fargo out mm -hmm. cold and the hateful eight um if you are a listener right now please uh please confirm or deny in the comments or reach out to me directly 
did you listen to this episode because Out Cold was on it? Because I'd be willing to bet if you're a millennial, that pulled you in more than these other two uh, cinema classics were covering. And so what we have to get into is why it did not age well. And I'll start. I don't want to blame it all on 9-11. But... We're back, baby. But it certainly didn't help. And I'm, I'm just going to leave it at that. Greg, take it from here, brother. Um, okay. Damn, this is... It's funny watching this now. You've got huge comedy stars now that you're just like, man, this was their low point. But it's like the bottom when you're on the trampoline. It's when you're on the trampoline and you go to your lowest point, that's what's going to propel you the highest. That's what's going to get you a minor role on The Office or a leading role in a Comedy Central show about cops or Zach Galifianakis. Which he, so, he, he roast this movie. Have you seen his uh, Purple Onion special? Yeah. The, the... Dude, I got I to gotta rewatch that because I forget all of the his his uh bits on this movie i i watched uh i watched it last week um not for this podcast but just because i felt like it um Van- it's good. vanessa and i are on a zach galifianakis kick we've been watching a lot of between two ferns and stuff like that but zach galifianakis kick <laughs> damn it um <laughs> i'm gonna i'm gonna let that go <laughs> but um when Still he when it. he's doing crowd work with uh with the guy he's just constantly berating for being old and sitting in the front and it's just mm-hmm. clearly facetious but also hilariously mean um he's like how did you know about me oh my god did you see out cold because it had lee majors in it and that's and that's how you know who i am <laughs> um that's why an Damn, old guy good. knows me but um i totally lost my train of thought um Go ahead. What were you saying? Yeah, I, I was just going to bounce from topic to topic here. Um, oh, no, wait. I, I figured out what I wanted to say. <laughs> Sorry. Okay, yeah. Please, it's on, please it's on stop the subject. Me. I uh, I still have some brain fog from COVID. It's been getting me. Um, it might be I why. I thought we cured that last episode. <laughs> um, everything but the brain fog. Um, but that is that may or may not be why you asked me what my favorite line from fargo is and i told you my whole fucking life story uh, because i'm just kind of <laughs> tangential and spacey right now and uh so do i do i need to keep you grounded no th- this i'm grounded now this was my thought on this movie You're grounded um i want everyone to know who may have watched it for the first time now because um because this is really common now and you're kind of looking for it and expecting it this is so so unapologetically formulaic that it almost plays as meta you know like it almost plays Mm -hmm. as like a winking at it critique of the genre and i want to say very clearly it did not play that way in 2002 (laughs) like it 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 did not it did not seem like this until we as a culture got so used to deconstructing media um and just now it's like meta is not even considered inaccessible it's almost an expectation at this point yeah um Dude, i want I, you to I'm know it, it might seem like it's intentionally meta and i just want you to know it's not okay <laughs> it <Yeah>. is not <laughs> there, there was a couple moments where i was like this has got to be satire yeah me Nah, i don't think it is <laughs> me too and then i was like wait a minute 
I've watched this movie probably like I have no idea, but maybe like 30 times in my life. And it is never. Mm-hmm. And then I was like, it has never once occurred to me that it might be intentionally satirical. So I'm going to go with if I didn't get that impression until like my 30th watch uh, over 20 years, I'm going to say it wasn't on purpose. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Dude. This movie just made me uncomfortable. Like, <laughs> I was just uncomfortable. I was reminded of a time that I didn't miss. Really, it's just like the whole aesthetic of this film and like just the way we talk about and treat women in this movie is pretty woof. problematic. Woof. Motherfucking woof. Um, That's yeah. Right. Yeah, that was not okay um also they spoiled casablanca for an entire generation without uh saying we're sorry or giving us a warning that that's what they were doing when i when i when i finally saw casablanca it was one of my favorite movies and i was like oh out cold did this bit and i just thought it was original of all the bars in all of the ski towns in alaska Why'd she have to come to this? The main character's name is even motherfucking Rick. Jesus fucking Christ, you assholes. It's not subtle at all. Speaking of the main character... Jason London from Dazed and Confused. I I don't like his face. I don't know what it is. I think it's the soul patch. The soul patch certainly doesn't do anyone any favors. Uh, Looking at you, every youth pastor ever. Oh my gosh. If, he's not wrong folks if he didn't drink and constantly snowboarded like him drinking is the only thing that told me he's not a youth pastor yeah <laughs> he's, he's gonna lean on his board and say like actually the double black diamond you know who could shred that it's your pal jesus <laughs> he shredded the double black diamond of sin <laughs> and he didn't wipe out no, he got right back up. <laughs> got back on his board. And then when they brought him out of that tomb, he spat out his beer in his cup and declared himself king of the mountain of righteousness. <laughs> of your <laughs> <laughs> And then he got laid. Oh my god. Oh Everybody man. Claps. <laughs> um <laughs> There's a lot of slurs used for humor in this movie, too. Boy, are there. Uh, uh, and uh, Some that, most that start with R, some that starts with F. And uh, to put a cherry on top, we've got a token black guy. The holy trinity uh, of what was wrong with white people movies. For At least we didn't use a slur for him. More on that in the next movie. Well, I don't think we could, um, I don't think they wanted the R rating. That would have cost them, but it's, uh, believe me, it's, yeah. it, it's, it's not because they cared. <laughs> it, it's not because they would have thought that was too inappropriate, especially there was a phenomenon in, uh, in the 2000s. Like, it, it's everywhere of uh, white guys dropping the N-bomb for shock, for shock value. Like, so many yeah. people did it. It's in Shaun of the Dead. Yeah, it's, we talked about it with that one, yeah. It's in the New York Friars Club roast of Jeff Foxworthy. Fucking tater salad says the N-word. I'm never going to watch whatever that 
string of words was. Yeah, well, um, I had cable when I was 10, so I did see it. <laughs> all, I'm, all I'm saying is, if you're telling me that the movie where a guy fucks a hot tub might not have been made with uh, racial sensitivity in mind, you know? You know what? You know? That actually did... That was something they Maybe handled tracks. well, Greg, because I think you might have missed the, the delicateness of that subject. As Zach Galifianakis mm. said, he did not fuck a hot tub. He was molested by a hot tub. And I think this movie really normalized uh, uh, hot tub-based trauma. Um, and that was that was a service they did to the world. That's right. I felt more and... safe admitting publicly that I fucked a hot tub. <laughs> because of this movie. <laughs> I thought it would make me travel through time. Um, <laughs> All it did was make me travel through the bromine filter. <laughs> and come super hard. Um, was it worth it? Come on, that's a great line. There's some things uh, in this movie that are still funny. It's just not oh it's, no, it's just not most of it. <laughs> yeah. The 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 ratio has shifted quite a bit, but, but there's, there's still some laughs. There's still some 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 time-tested laughs uh not as many as i would have expected when it was my favorite movie but <laughs> dude i'm 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 honestly shocked that we're what three episodes into the year and we've already got a con a second contender for horniest movie what was our first wild wild west okay wild wild west was hornier than this but it's not because out cold didn't try yeah, it's not because <laughs> they didn't try to win the award. <laughs> it's just Wild Wild West just ran away with it. <laughs> Dude. Um, how about how about the guy that played uh, Zach Galifianakis's brother in this movie uh, doing the worst Crispin Glover impression that I've ever seen? I that was truly embarrassing to watch. I I can't shit on Pierre Pigpen. I just can't. I can. Go ahead, because you would be right to do so. But it's like making fun of a dog I love. <laughs> it's just, it doesn't, it just... You make fun of Eleven all the time. <laughs> no, I tell Eleven there's something wrong with her and she's not normal and that's why she has trouble making friends. That's not making fun does... of her, that's constructive feedback when she barks. At least she doesn't do a terrible Crispin Glover reimagination i don't know I man i don't know i don't know when she did it for you but i didn't think her crispin glover impression was that great personally <laughs> yeah she does this dance guy's... like him in friday the 13th this guy's all over the map oh god she was always asking where the corkscrew is um <laughs> uh he he's all over the map man and then we get like this it's Part of my problem with this movie is it just a lot of times feels out of order. Like, scenes don't really seem to flow together. And then there's one point where this character, Crispin Glover, has a um, a dream that we don't really know is a dream. Mm -hmm. Where he's, like, snowboarding off of a mountain and then, like, parachutes onto a gondola that's got a bunch of uh, exotic dancers in there, I guess. And they have, they had the idea to make a rope out of their clothes. It was for, you know, topless joke, but this movie was already ahead of Frozen. 
keep in that just, regard. Just, but I, I wanted to talk about this, Greg, because I thought it needed to be stated that wolves would climb. No, not that wolves would climb it. That the stupidest character in a stupid movie, his first idea of what to do on a stuck gondola was tie the clothes together. Yep. His Make immediately a the stupidest character had this idea during a wet dream while in he a humped stupid, a bench stupid, in a stupid movie. Yeah. So that's that's Incredible. the level of dumb that Frozen is. <laughs> like that's I wanted to qualify that 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 is how dumb Frozen is that out cold like couldn't make a movie out of it cuz they solved that problem too fast. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my god! <laughs> Sorry, but it, go ahead. F- finish your thought, please. But yeah, like Frozen, right? The, you got it's a movie called Frozen, so you're expecting like this bitter, bitter cold. This movie felt colder. It's weird. Like it feels like. Man, I hope they're really bundled up. Man, they sure need those jackets. This like. Watching Frozen, you're like, man, this feels like super warm. It's like they're not really struggling up there. Like, there's ice because we put it there. This is like, we don't have the budget for fake icicles or whatever. We're it's just snowing all the time. <laughs> yep. This this movie was more of a winter-based horror film than Frozen. <laughs> I mean, I felt more scared when the auto drain on the hot tub hit than at any moment in the entirety of Frozen. I, I felt more worried for a character than I ever did for the entirety of Frozen when he accidentally pressed that button. <laughs> His dick breaks off. It looks like that guy's legs in Frozen. He had PVC pipe in his dick. He was faking his erection. Oh, my God. And then the wolves show up. getting the hot tub, too. Ah, <laughs> uh, woo. So there were a bunch of non-sequitur scenes. Uh... Greg clearly doesn't understand how Pigpen's dream sequence, uh, Zach Galifianakis having sex with a hot tub, and a bunch of random jackass-style staged pranks um, contributed to the larger narrative of this movie. And uh, I don't want to make fun of him on the air because he's my friend, but uh, those were all clearly very purposeful and masterful tie-ins to the biggest story structure of... of... Okay, I'm done. I'm going to... I'm too dumb to see the <laughs> the overarching story here the theme really pull the themes and the real yeah i think it's cause, meat of this film i think it's cuz you just saw it earlier today and i would recommend that you just watch it 30 times over the next 20 years and i think you'll finally re- it's kind of like a synecdoche new york type of movie where you get something different out of it <laughs> we're roasting our uh, bff of the oh. show chris boyd we love you chris but we will I'll, not uh, ever stop taking jabs at how much you love Synecdoche, even though I'm not as harshly against it as Greg is anymore. I will uh, head to my local blockbuster and make this make this work for me, um, dude. Well, one of those one of those pranks was actually super funny. Oh yeah, oh yeah. The the car one. Oh my god, is that the one you're thinking? I just I. I guffawed like again. I've I've said several times how many times I've seen this movie, and I still was just like howling with laughter at that, which was just fucking. It was great, great I love prank. It. And if you haven't seen it, and I advise you keep it that way. Basically, one of their 
Zach Galifianakis passes out drunk and all of the friends... It happens a few times in this movie, but in this particular case, they drag Zach out to the car. Uh, they put him in the driver's seat. They push the car into the street. And then a few guys get into the passenger seats. And then a few guys start spinning the car. So it looks like, you know, he's fucking up driving. They start screaming, wake him up. He thinks he's like, oh, no, I'll fix it. Like, grabs a steering wheel. He's like, oh, I got it, guys. I got it under control. Fucking hilarious prank. Yeah, one of the one of the few moments of laughter that uh, that I got out well, of this movie because well, uh, I'm not going to talk about the polar bear scene. So, okay, what were, was your question? I was going to ask as as someone who just saw this movie, what were some of the other moments that actually made you laugh? There were a few of like the ad lib moments. They're just like because the whole movie feels like it's just a whole bunch of guys that decided to make a movie in Alaska. They just, like, went up there, and just a lot of the dialogue is them just joking around with each other. And some of it lands. A lot of it doesn't. But, you know, I can't remember a lot of the specific lines, but they're just taking, like, little jabs at each other that I that I did get a few chuckles out of. Yeah. And then I've got a couple that are, you know, favorite lines that we'll get yeah. to later. I, uh... The, I don't even know his name. I just basically called him uh, Stumpy, Champ Kind, and Todd Packer. Um, through, right. through, I don't. I still don't know his name. Uh, I think I feel like Stumpy might be right. Is that right? Stumpy's his name in the movie? I don't know the actor in the name. movie. Yeah. yeah. Oh, uh, I got it. Hold on, David Cockner. David Cockner. He honestly, he's fucking hilarious and deserves to have his name known. I just, he's always been Stumpy to me, to be honest. Um, mm -hmm. He was. He's good in this. movie. He was hysterical in this movie. Like every time he showed up, he was really, really funny. And uh, I think the same could be said for uh, Zach Galifianakis. Um, which, by the way, did you did you watch the gag reel in the credits? I did. Yeah. Was your version censored when he when he's giving alternates on his uh, this uniform's yes. cramping my balls? Do you want to know what he said? Because I remember yes, please. it. He said, uh, "This uniform's really cramping my Olsen twins. Can I please get a drink for Mary Kate and Ashley?" <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> Why would you censor that? That I've got to think. Uh, I I don't remember when. Maybe in the theater. It's two thousand one. So well, I've got to think. It's maybe because uh, he named his balls after minors. That's exactly what <laughs> I was going to say. I don't know how that, old they were. Yeah, at the time, I think they were still children. Um, and so maybe uh, I I know it. I probably saw it in the theater that way, and maybe someone was like, "Hey, buddy." That's kind of the type of humor that pedophiles make. Uh, maybe we should not put it on the DVD. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, man. Um, by the way, Greg, this is not an on-the-air story. Uh, but have I ever told you about the time me and Colby uh, investigated an AOL lesbian chat room because of this movie? No. Off the air. All right, buddy. Save it for later. That that scene felt like it just came and went, and oh, it came, and it went. Oh, oh shush. Um, yeah, that was another one that really served absolutely no purpose in the movie, but it was kind of funny. I'm gonna be honest. The idea that you got to understand this was a time when yeah, like sex chat rooms were very new. I like like I said, I learned about them from this movie, um, and. What's funnier than two guys uh, uh, diminishing a lesbian relationship into something that's hot? 
um, and not a genuine relationship and both of them thinking they're getting away with it and they're actually masturbating to each other. Like what's, that's mm-hmm. actually a pretty, uh, may, perhaps a moment of accidental wokeness. Um, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> like <laughs> the way, the way I kind of viewed that scene, it just kind of felt like, well, with modern perspective now, it's just like the joke is this guy is going online pretending to be a woman to get into a lesbian chat room, but he's, also talking to another man that is doing the exact same thing and in 2022 i'm like yeah no shit that's probably everyone yeah Yeah, but we and in this movie the audience is probably like oh my god they found each other amongst all these lesbians they found each other some of us had to learn the hard way greg some of us had to learn the hard way some of us had to learn the hard way um i don't know man what can I say about this movie that hasn't already been said about everything else that was uh, dumb and insensitively funny in this time period? You know, like, uh, mm-hmm. and I said insensitively funny, and I want to take that back because that implies that their insensitive humor was funny, and it wasn't. Yeah, it, um, it's funny because they have no regard. No, that's not why it's funny. Yeah. I'll, I'll say this. This movie, That's what they're going for. This movie made me always like and on some level root for Roy in the office because the actor was Lance in this movie. And I, mm-hmm. I was just so excited to see him get another role. Um, I, I, wanted, I wanted good things for Roy. Damn. But not Jim. Dude. What a jerk. Jim. Jim. We don't talk, we don't talk about the office. Until we do. I related to him a lot more when I was a lovesick 17-year-old. And now, as an adult, I'm like, hey, if you're still acting like a lovesick 17-year-old in your adult life, that's really sad. Do you need to talk, buddy? Hey, Pam, you want to do graphic design for my new sports com- company and move to Philadelphia with me? Sure. Problem solved. Series over. Goodbye. I don't know, man. Sh- show sucks. All right. Um, David Cogner, I kind of want to get back on yeah, him. Yeah, he was great, man. I, I like when, you know, because he's also, speaking of The Office, he's in there. He was in uh, Krampus, like we talked about. He seems to always be cast as just, like, kind of a dickhead side character. And he's perfect at it. I, I, I like him better in these kinds of roles, where he's just, like, a totally unhinged guy just saying the wildest shit. Whammy! He's, <laughs> he's really good at that, yeah. too. Dude. I want to give him some credit here. He was a very believable... Uh, deranged isolated mountain town alcoholic oh yeah absolutely (laughs) yeah it's it's it leads to one of my problems in the movie like i said i think a lot of this was well they show it in the bloopers too like a lot of this was ad-libbed and you could tell there's a few scenes where cockner's just kind of like going off and like going on a tangent of like a whole bunch of different jokes and there's like maybe two or three cameras on him and then we're just like picking out the funny ones but the camera's in a different position and we're just making these quick cuts but it's almost the same view it's really jarring where we're like we get like a foot closer to him in like from one cut to the next and he's making another joke and distracted by that and lose what he's saying yeah, yeah, man. Yeah, this is a poorly, 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 poorly edited movie. Yeah, 
there was even one scene uh jenny who we haven't talked about at all where why would you talk about her she was a sex object she was a she was a nothing character yeah she she was a potential sex object. She was that the was uh, she's what we call the exceptionalist woman, meaning that she is good because she is like the men. Um, yeah. Women aren't usually like men, but every once in a while, one of the women is like the men, and we like her for that. <laughs> that's that's what her character is. That is exactly one hundred percent correct. Yeah, there, there's femininity one is bad unless you want to fuck it. <laughs> Oh my god. <laughs> He's right, folks. There there's one scene where she is uh having a conversation uh with our main character and she the shot of her is completely out of focus for like almost 10 seconds. <laughs> uh yeah, and it is blurry as shit. Dude, and that whole King of the Mountain bit, you clearly see like continuity errors in like like you see Rick Rambus not have any beer in his glass or sorry, excuse me. Uh, whoever, whatever stunt double did all the Jason London stunts, um, definitely had no beer in his glass. And normally I wouldn't care, but the whole, I know he's, it's, it's not, it's not after he spilt it for the story. It's before that. Um, yep. and normally I wouldn't care about something that small. Um, I just I usually don't notice continuity errors unless they're just egregious because if the story's good it won't matter. Um, but it was really crucial to the story that their glasses were full of beer in those moments. Like yeah. just come it's, on. It's, it's something they called attention to, like, hey, you should be watching yeah. this. Come and on. And just like flinging beer. Because continuity errors, they're they're such a minor thing normally. Like in Fargo and we already referenced Casablanca too. There's a couple instances where the cigarette is almost out, and then a few seconds later we cut back to that character, and the cigarette is longer. Just like uh, I think you mentioned that in Casablanca before. Yeah, but yeah, this, yeah. But but your attention's not called to that. It's not like Dude, I by the time it's... I finish. By the time I finish this cigarette, we better do this, this, and this. Bro, I noticed that continuity error on my like sixth watch through of Casablanca when I decided mm -hmm. I was going to see if it was truly perfect. Like that's, that's the only thing I found that I could say, well, I guess it's not perfect because I like thought like this might be a fucking perfect movie. And I like intentionally, like with a fine tooth combed was looking for stuff like that. And you know what else? I got through that movie five times and thought it was probably perfect with literally nothing wrong with it. Mm -hmm. Who gives a fuck about the cigarette? That's Who right. Who gives a and fucking then he's like, fuck about that cigarette continuity error? <laughs> and then he's like, he he just delivers that classic line. Oh. Frankly, my dear, I don't give a frick. And then he Jesus like Christ. smokes a cigarette down the mountain. Goddamn trouble. Fucking shreds. <laughs> Now I haven't I, seen that movie. <laughs> now I want to see uh, Humphrey Bogart in a snowboarding movie. <laughs> One of the female characters says, "Hump me, Bogart." God. Jesus Christ! Do we? Am I a writer for Out Cold? Oh, there were writers for Out Cold. <laughs> oh Jesus! <laughs> do Do we want to go to gimmicks? I don't. I don't really have any other lingering. Yeah, thoughts. let's let's 
let's let's head on uh, let's bring it home um i would like to say to anyone who is harmed by the rhetoric and ideas in this movie um i'm sorry for liking it in my youth i was a very privileged and isolated white person in a community full of privileged and isolated white people and i Mm -hmm. just thought it was funny um yeah we we've we've made similar apologies for high fidelity so um we're all capable of growth yeah Um, i haven't thought about high fidelity in a couple weeks you just messed Mm -hmm. up my whole night (laughs) forgot about that movie finally (laughs) denny what is your favorite winter frustration without cold um gentrification I, I I don't like it any more in the summer, but I like it less in the winter. I suppose. What's your? They, they stole that land from the Eskimos, fair and square, too. <laughs> um, my winter frustration is when you're, you know, you're in kind of an isolated winter community. There's no jobs. It's either this or an oil rig. Yes. No jobs. No jobs. According to these characters, you're either drunk off your ass twenty four seven in a ski lodge or you're working 19 hours a day on an oil rig off the coast so wait i i have another winter frustration i forgot about um mm. they um this is this is some real humphrey bogart with a cigarette shit that i needed to talk about publicly um the character uh anna or anna um the sorry the sex object uh anna i was kind of it was very giving to call her a character i suppose um <laughs> but um <laughs> Um, she asked Zach Galifianakis to play Island in the Sun by Weezer for old times sake. This movie came out in the year 2001. The Green Album came out in the year 2001. In fact, I may even have reason to believe that it's possible the Green Album wasn't released yet when this movie was being made. Um... So all that goes to say, Ooh. them asking. Uh, oh wait, the Green Album came out in uh, in. Hold up, I want to say March. Uh, fuck. Uh, 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 when you're on a holiday, dead air gives me anxiety. I'm just making noises. Okay, the Green Album came out in May 2001. Out Cold was released in November 2001. Um, even giving this movie a very effortless turnaround time, uh, I would wager that uh, Island in the Sun had not been released at the time this movie was being made. And so it really frustrates me that uh, she requested they play that song for old times' sake when there were, at the time of this movie, no old times that contained Island in the Sun by Weezer. There were only very, very, very recent times that you could remember this song and reminisce about. <laughs> so that, that's my winter frustration. I hate when that happens and it's cold outside. <laughs> <laughs> what's Pretty egregious what's, and relatable. I, I know. Everyone just gets bothered by stuff like that. Um, Greg, what's, what's your favorite, favorite line? Uh, my runner-up is if you weren't gay you'd be a pretty weird guy yep that's a that's a solid one uh but my favorite line is uh speaking of testicles let me get a beer (laughs) it's one of those improvised one-liners that just like "Mm, that got me good yeah 
I got a good yep. laugh. Um, Thanks, Zach. Runner-up, I really want to get a Seize the Carp tattoo. <laughs> Carpe <laughs> like Diem, it. Seize the Carp. Um, <laughs> I'm going to go with... Uh, Let's hand no. We're gonna handle this like mature, responsible adults. Adults kick other adults' asses all the time. <laughs> <laughs> hey, where's the lie? Who says? Who says that's not handling it like an adult? Um, Greg, what's your Critiker score? Hmm. Like I said, this movie's not good. Uh. <laughs> uh. Yeah. I. I was I I really liked the it's not even a credits blooper reel. It's a blooper reel that happens before the credits. It feels like it's part of the movie. Yeah. Like that's what kind of turned me around. I was like, "Man, I can't really hate on this too much because this seems like it was just so much fun for everyone making yeah. it." But it also a lot of the times felt like it was an inside joke that I wasn't in on. Yeah. And that's maybe because I saw it too late. I don't really know. You had to be um, there, brother. At the end of the day, I gave this one a 14 out of 40. I can't argue with that. Um, because of my sentimental value for this movie, I want I want to give it a passing grade, and I just cannot do so without just completely destroying the integrity of like 850 movies I've ranked. Um, so I gave this one a 25 out of 50, and let's be honest even that's probably being pretty generous um it's probably it's probably much higher than this movie deserves but i have loved it so much in the past that i just don't have it in my heart i don't have the strength to give it below a 20 which is honestly probably a little more fair yeah <sighs> we're all growing we're all growing greg we're all continuing to grow. Maybe one Look day I'll have the strength to be honest about how bad Out Cold is. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe another five or seven watch throughs will get you there. I'll, I'll say this. The last watch through made me really come to grips with reality. This watch through salvaged a little bit of it with like having like four actually funny jokes. Um, this... this uh, this made it a little better. So I don't know if I'm actually growing. I might be regressing. <laughs> well, I guess it's time to do our next movie, The Wonderful One. Wait, no, that was a prequel. Um, I want to watch The Terrible Two. Wait, that was another prequel. I want to watch the, uh, the, 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 uh, help me out here, alliterative TH sound adjective three. Um, no, that was a prequel. I want to watch The Fearful Four. No, shit, that was a prequel, too. I want to watch Samurai? The Fantastic Five. I'm getting there. No, that was a prequel, too. I want to watch The Super Duper Six. Ah, no, wait, that was a prequel. Uh, Big Hero Six. Greg, how about we watch The Seven Samurai? Uh, that was uh, uh, same universe, but uh, uh, unrelated. They smoked a red apple cigarette in that movie, though, so same universe. Um, okay, fine. Okay, we'll skip all the prequels, and we're just going to jump right into The Hateful Eight. Damn. But wait till we get to the sequel, Ocean's Eleven. <laughs> Ocean's Hateful Eight. That movie could have been good. <laughs> ah, 
I would watch Ocean's Hateful Eight, uh, but only if there were female Ghostbusters in it. <laughs> Dude, Ocean, Ocean's Eight, man. Like, it needed some Hateful Eight influence. Like, it just needed... I still can't believe you watched that movie. I forgot I, it existed I don't, until you told I don't me about believe it. I watched that movie because yeah. I can't tell you a thing that happened. Um, is uh, Or who was in it. Is Julia Roberts hanging out somewhere in the mix? I think that's the one, yeah. Dude, Ocean's 8 was like... I think I like two weeks later I was like, Oh yeah, Rihanna was in that. <laughs> Oh man, uh, talking about oh my god, uh, yeah. I I could not name for you the eight. <laughs> is all I'm saying. Rihanna, Kurt Russell, uh, Samuel L. Jackson, Julia Roberts, um, Quentin Tarantino, and uh, four racial slurs. That's all eight of them. <laughs> oh Jesus, Greg! Oh my God, we're back, folks. Um. Welcome back to the Hateful Two. It's me and Denny. <laughs> Boy, do we hate movies. Um, but sometimes we like movies. Dude, Speaking I, of movies we like, don't, don't 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 put me in that category with with what we do. I can't stand the like. Well, it, we made a count. podcast because of how much we hate cinema. We want to roast it. I'm not doing that okay. at all. We, I don't, we don't think we're doing that at all. We don't hate movies. We fucking love movies. There's we, movies we hate. We don't hate movies. Yeah, but for this podcast, we usually try to watch movies we'll like, except every once in a while, and sometimes we were wrong. But it's yeah, not because we were like, we're going to shit on it. <laughs> you know? <laughs> like For every cat, there's like three solid films we absolutely would love yeah. to talk to you about. Yeah, and Cats was a gimmick. And cats was, <laughs> cats was for charity. I'll 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 be a, I'll be a Gary YouTube for charity, but I I won't do it for art. Do you know what a Gary YouTube is, Greg? I really don't. It's someone who makes generic YouTube content. And uh, wait till our tier ranking videos come out, because I actually am going to be a Gary YouTube because we it's going to be fun. Those are popular for, content, for a reason. Baby. It's because they're cool. <laughs> for the content. FTC. Baby. Greg. Huh? Do you want yeah, to summarize let's... Hateful Eight, or are you tired of summarizing? I don't really feel like it, personally, uh, but I, I, I will. No, I'll, I'll You've do done it. the I'll other two. Okay. I, I got this one. Don't worry. I've had enough whiskey to carry this episode. Get it, brother, brother. As I sip Diet Coke from my frosted Stone Cold Steve Austin mug. <sighs> Cheers to you, my friend. The audience loves that noise. Um, the Hateful Eight, folks. So do their mamas. <laughs> Austin 316, baby. Austin 316 says, I just slurped your mom. (laughs) (laughs) I thought I was tipsy. Uh, Hateful Eight, everybody. Good news. Good news on all fronts. (sighs) This movie, unlike 90% of the movies we've done, is on Netflix. Fucking finally, we got a movie that's on, like, the most popular streaming platform in existence. Hey. Finally. Netflix has- Not only that, you've got your regular version, and there's an extended version. The regular version is two hours and 47 minutes long, and the extended version is longer. I don't know how long it is. 
It's like uh, it's like a mini series, right? They like cut it up into multiple episodes. That's my understanding. No clue. That's why I did, um, that's why I didn't do the extended version because I was like, that's like an entirely different medium that we don't really do on the show. Let's just do the movie. I I've only seen the regular version, and by the way, for our discussion today, we're only going to be talking about the regular version. So I haven't seen the extended version, but I don't think I've ever been in a place where I was like, man, I really want to hear more of what these characters have to say. I think we got it with this one. Uh, but I'll yeah. summarize the plot for us real quick. Yeah. Uh, the Hateful Eight is about um, a couple of bounty hunters that have a couple of bounties. They are taking their bounties, dead and alive, to the city of Red Rock. Uh, but there is a, blitter, a blizzard hot on their ass through the mountains. They're not going to make it to the town before the blizzard hits, so they've got to take shelter in the t- in a little bar haven building, Minnie's Haberdashery. So we've got Kurt Russell and Samuel L. Jackson with uh, dead and alive bounties all taking refuge in Minnie's Haberdashery with some guests that are already there. Um, along the way, they pick up the sheriff of Red Rock, played by Walter Goggins, in an all-time performance. Sorry, a man who claims to be the sheriff, as man far, as, claims as, far to be, as they know. A man that claims to be the sheriff of Red Rock. He hasn't gotten his star yet because he needs to get to Red Rock. He's just gotten the orders to blah, 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 blah. Kind of suspicious, if you ask me, partner. And, and that is the first seed of doubt that carries through the theme of this movie. All the people that are already at Minnie's Haberdashery are a little suspect. Something's a little out of place with everybody. Kurt Russell is the first to point fingers at everybody, kind of say, like, look, I know something's up here. Just know I've got my eye on all of you. Mm -hmm. And through various conversations and actions uh, that take place within Minnie's Haberdashery, we start to see who's real and who may be lying about who they really are. Um... A very interesting series of character dynamics that's constantly shifting and changing through each intense and uh, dramatic conversation that takes place between all of these just wide range of characters. Uh, it takes place post-Civil War, maybe about like uh, 1890s or so, in Wyoming. Lovely Wyoming. And yeah, we we just learn about all these characters, relationships they shockingly may have with one another. And uh, yeah, fun ensues. Things get revealed. Motivations get shown. And uh, it's a doozy. Uh, I will start our discussion with a review of this film by legend of the show, Will Reno. And his review of this film basically... Or, or uh, in its entirety, verbatim, is Tarantino's message of Wyoming's awfulness does not go unnoticed. <laughs> you know, Greg, I have one memory of being in Wyoming when I drove through it on my move to Canada. You know what that is? What is it? I got a speeding ticket. Fuck. <laughs> Stupid Wyoming. I agree with Will Reno. <laughs> I agree with Will Reno's view. I uh I was moving to Portland, Oregon, uh like eight eight years ago or so, and Wyoming was the part of the trip where it was like 
between 2 a.m. and 4 a.m. So all I saw was darkness because there's not a street lamp to be fucking found on those highways. <laughs> I, w- I was daytime for me. I uh, I think I, I, I stayed at a hotel in uh, Billings, Colorado. Or no, sorry, that's Billings, Montana. In Fort- I stayed at a hotel in Fort Collins after the first day's drive and uh, was in Wyoming within an hour or two in the next day and immediately hit a speed trap. Uh gross and i was really nice to that officer and he saw that i had everything i owned in my car and had to um get out uh out of the car with permission to get to my glove compartment and he saw from my license that i lived in texas and god damn it he still gave me a fucking ticket come on man don't act don't act like you weren't gonna weren't gonna get somebody who would have a more convenient time dealing with that ticket if you hung around for five more minutes the city of cheyenne isn't gonna pay for itself buddy <laughs> afraid to say um yeah but this movie is before traffic tickets yeah i'll just say that much uh what Denny, is... uh I'll let you give your history with uh, Hateful Eight first, because I think it's pretty short, isn't it? Yeah, um, Quentin Tarantino is uh, one of my favorite directors of all time, warts and all. (laughs) That part's important, warts and Mm -hmm. all. He is one of my favorite directors of all time. Um, I uh, uh, have a powerful hatred of westerns up until recently and and refused to watch it, because I was like, why the fuck would I want to watch a three-hour western, even if Quentin Tarantino directed it? Um, and then, I don't know, pretty recently, I guess I just came to terms with some shit and something shook loose in me. And I was like, I don't really have a reason to hate Westerns so much. Maybe I should start trying them out. <laughs> just felt kind of curious. So I threw this on my list this year and uh, chose it for this episode. That's the whole history. That's awesome, man. Um, watching Wild Wild West really opened your eyes to a lot of uh, good cinema. That's what it was. It inspired That's my it love was. for a genre. <laughs> that's right and america um yeah um i i watched this movie oh actually yeah when i was living in portland after i had moved there this this came out while i was still living there and the theater that was like a block away from where i was living at the time they were showing this on 35 millimeter film and they had like a whole big presentation of it like in on like on film stock like just uh with an intermission and everything it was like a theater that like was this was like before alamo draft house what a what a way to see it man that's they 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 served beer and everything and it was like it was one of the best theater going experiences ever and it absolutely rocked what a way to see a movie like this man that's awesome that sounds fantastic yeah oh my god i was so happy um this is probably my i want to say this is my third time viewing it i i did watch it again maybe like three or four years ago Mm -hmm. and then again just the other day yeah that's there we go cool that's where we're at um where do we start my brother uh i kind of wanted to start where the movie started sure um I I think this is one of the few Tarantino films that has like a lot of establishing shots of like scenery and landscape and that kind of thing. Yeah, because very his different movies, tonally. His movies are so like dialogue driven, and this one too, of course, is. But like 
everything is so intimate and close between characters that having like big establishing shots of scenery and like mountain ranges and like big areas just blanketed with snow is just yeah. totally unlike him you don't really get this sense of scope in tarantino movies you're often just like put into the basement of a like a basement bar yeah. in france like in inglorious bastards or you're put in a coffee shop in pulp fiction you're not really like given the whole expanse of the area we're dealing with so that was it's it's kind of a weird thing to see from him uh what did you think about that um yeah no i i felt the same i to the point that i was like i wanted to see a tarantino movie am i even gonna get to see one or is mm -hmm. this just him reminding us once again that he likes the 70s and he likes westerns okay quentin we know you don't have to make four movies to tell someone that <laughs> um it's not that deep of a thought um so i <laughs> really was just like uh maybe i was right not not that the cinematography was bad like it was gorgeous like i was even saying to vanessa in some of those shots i was like how did they get it so still like they're outdoors there's wind blowing and animals running around how did they make this look like a still painting with people walking through it you know like that's amazing um but i was a little bit like i want pulp fiction i want reservoir dogs but don't worry if you waited long enough you eventually got it mm -hmm. <laughs> as i found out um but yeah man i thought it was you know you, you love to see uh you love to see a director challenge himself that late in the game and and just not stick to his stick to his stick to his guns, partner. Um, pew, pew, pew. Like it's like yeah. it's like it's something that like people criticize Wes Anderson for making the same movie over and over and over again, and they're right. He does do that. Um, but you know what else? It's a he's really fucking good at it, and no one else can pull it off. So I'm fine with it. And. I kind of feel the same way about the Tarantino stylization. It's like, I didn't come to see a movie directed by Quentin Tarantino. I came to see a Quentin Tarantino movie. It's its own genre. You know, like that's, mm -hmm. that's and so um, yeah. all that goes setting, to say. Setting and characters and themes be damned. And I just want to see him making a movie about something. Exactly. And so yeah. Props to him for having such a unique voice, you know, and a unique identity as a filmmaker. And, you know, that late in the game, doing something real different. You know, like, it, I think it I think it was a smart move. Oh, yeah. Dude, like, he, he's one of the few directors that I will go see a film for anymore. Oh, absolutely. Like, well, he's one of the only I, directors that, you know, you could choose to go see a film for because basically him and christopher nolan and wes anderson's are the only ones that can get money based on their name uh and not make ant-man 3 <laughs> <laughs> they'll let them they'll let them 3. make an original movie because they know their name sells the movie um and yeah. so he's one but of your like, only options really i'll get super hyped up to go see a david fincher movie sure. or a new coen brothers movie i still haven't watched um the tragedy of Macbeth yet um but yeah like tarantino is just one of the few guys that are just like on the name of the filmmaker alone i don't care what it's about i'm gonna go see it yep yep without subject a doubt. matter be darn i mean which like again 
I've told you that I don't have strong positive feelings for westerns and I showed up for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood <laughs> you know like if, if oh what a great movie it is a great movie and if Quentin Tarantino's name wasn't on it I might not have seen it you know like because mm-hmm. it just didn't seem like the time type of thing that would get $13 and two hours out of me but it was a Quentin Tarantino movie and I wanted to go see it and I was glad I did right same with Hateful yeah. Eight I wouldn't have picked this for my winter pick if it weren't the only Tarantino film I hadn't seen. It was literally the only appealing element to me on paper. You know, like sight unseen. If you describe this movie, I'd be like, ah, even if Samuel L. Jackson and Kurt Russell are in it and Tim Roth, wait a minute, this is a Tarantino movie, isn't it? It's probably what I'm gonna say. <laughs> Dude, um, also, I'm just a sucker for seeing Kurt Russell out in the cold, man. Yeah, nostalgic. Between this and the thing. Nostalgic. Man yeah man. these piercing blue eyes against that scenery ah i i looked over at vanessa when, once, about. once they got to to minnie's uh what's it called minnie's haberdashery Minnie's haberdashery. Yeah. i looked over at her and i was just like kurt russell just can't stop trapping himself in small rooms with people he doesn't trust in blizzards can he <laughs> he just can't <laughs> stop doing it <laughs> but uh yeah, man. Uh, I, you know, before we get into the movie and we just talk about directorial t- tropes and tells, um, am, mm-hmm. am I correct in my uh, my unchecked perception? I only started looking for it near the end of the movie when I noticed it hadn't happened yet. Was this the only Tarantino movie ever made with no feet in it? Are there ever feet in this movie that I forgot about? Um, I don't think there are, but I don't want to say this is the only one that doesn't have it. Which which other one doesn't? I don't remember the entirety of Jackie Brown. Me neither, but I'm just going to play it yeah. safe and be like, I'll bet money that there was a... But fight. that was set in a non-Blizzard environment, so <laughs> I'm pretty... It's on the table. I'll, I'll bet you my next paycheck that there's a foot in Jackie Brown. <laughs> yeah, but they're, they're maybe the extended version of this one, man. I don't know. What if the extended version is just 45 minutes extra feet close-ups? Dude, uh, yeah. <laughs> How many extra feet of film did that uh, take? Yeah. hey Hey, but hey. Badoom, badoom chish. How, how cool was it that our boy did manage to get uh, red apple cigarettes into this period piece? Multiple times, man. Nothing but Nothing but respect for my guy. Um, I, I had a unique viewing experience. I had a unique viewing experience with this movie. Um, Manzana Rojo. Yeah, sorry. I, I actually watched it in two chunks. Um, I watched the first chunk a couple nights ago because uh, we also this was on me and Vanessa's movie list, so we needed to watch it together. So we had to like accommodate for both of our schedules. Um, I watched the first chunk a couple of nights ago, and about an hour in, I was like, Vanessa, I'm really tired, and this is really boring. Do you want to just pick it up later? Um, and she was like, what? I'm having a great time. I was like, I'm... I'm oh, really? Yeah, I was like, I'm yeah. I'm tired, and I'm bored, and I'm starting to not pay attention. Um, and she was like, yeah, sure. So we finished it tonight. Um, boy, did they turn that around. <laughs> mm-hmm. Now I know that uh, it wasn't boring. They were just earning it. They were just earning all the stuff they were going to do. Uh, but, man, yeah. it was not 
an exciting road to get there for me. It was worth it. It was worth it. And all of that boredom actually... The, 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 the exciting parts wouldn't have been as good without it. Because they were, they were telling me things I needed to know. But man, between that and Kurt Russell's John Wayne impression, I just... That did not work for me. And I was really like, oh... Holy shit, this is a bad one, isn't it? I mean, even the best fall down sometimes. Howie Day taught me that. Um, is this you, Marquise? Is this me? God. Sorry, go on. No, dude, with that Kurt Russell, John Wayne impression, like, I was like, hey, man, it was cute at first, but this is a three-hour movie. <laughs> like, mm -hmm. how long did you think this bit was going to last? <laughs> like, Jesus, uh, I got luck so tired of that. Luckily, spoilers, everybody. This is where we get into spoilers. Yep. Turn away now. Be ye warned. <laughs> uh, luckily, about 90 minutes in, we don't have to hear from Kurt Russell anymore. So. Exactly. And I think, so that was that was my problem with the first, the first half of the movie, essentially. The first hour and a half is, it was very stylized, which was cool enough, I guess. Yeah. But they were dealing with serious subject matter and the stylization was causing me not to take any of it seriously. You know, it was like Tim Roth's character is fantastic, but he's also like really fucking silly. And I can't like actually care about anything when he's being a jolly old Englishman all over the place, you know, like, Dude. and when Kurt Russell just refused to do anything other than impersonate John Wayne, like, come on, man. Like, I just, Dude. I couldn't buy in to caring, even though I was like, it's well done. I just, the the, the choices are making this uh, incongruent for me. The, what I'm supposed to care about, I'm not caring about because of the way they're presenting this. Yeah, more on more on Tim from Roth later. Um, he was great. But yeah, I, I got to agree with all counts here. Um, just a little over stylized, maybe a couple of just, overly corny choices being made and just yeah the way everything's presented is just like yeah i get it like writing dialogue is a big strength of yours but i feel like you're just unnecessarily flexing some muscles that i already knew you had right well kind of thing and it was also like dude this movie's premise setting and time period ran from tarantino's strengths in writing dialogue like ran right in the opposite direction of what he's good at and mm -hmm. i could have bought a lot of these characters in kill bill or jackie brown but brother it was the fucking civil war era uh wyoming not like some cool snappy uh uh la gangster joint you know like <laughs> yeah snap snappy is just a perfect word for what was kind of like missing from the soul of the characters in the movie yeah. in the setting and it's just like this doesn't require this style of filmmaking no no and I, this is like very very light mild criticism uh coming from us i would say like we like what we're seeing we're just feeling like it's a little misplaced um i don't want to speak for you but that's kind of where i'm landing I, I would say i would say misplaced and disjointed like they were i thought there were a lot of good pieces that were not fitting together like none of the pieces were okay yeah none of the pieces were necessarily bad but they just just 
created this very unpleasant grinding sound when they you know when they when they rubbed up against each other yeah and i honestly man i was sitting there being like i can't believe i'm gonna have to watch three hours of this and uh yeah and then i didn't yeah (laughs) and then things took a turn for the better (laughs) uh my last piece on that the whole intro sequence the first and second chapters are the same. Yeah. They're the same yeah, thing. Yeah, good point. Cha- it's like chapter one, we pick up Samuel L. Jackson. Chapter two, we pick up Walter Goggins. And it's just like, they feel like the same thing. It's yeah. just like an extension of that main that first bit of story. And we just spend like 30 or 40 minutes in a carriage when the meat of the movie is in Minnie's haberdashery. Yep. And like you said, instantly, once we get in there the movie really turns around dude i would I even say once we were in there i needed about 40 more minutes until the movie really turned around and it's when samuel l jackson started doing some samuel l jackson shit um that oh, that just completely changed the movie from something i really did not enjoy to something i was absolutely enamored with um and I don't know. Maybe Tarantino has just been uh, hanging around James Cameron too much and was like, what if we made our movies, like, long, but we didn't really think of a reason why, but they were also long. (laughs) The future's long, baby. (laughs) The kids kids want long movies. (laughs) (laughs) And the Terminator can't kill people. Wait, I know that's what a lot of people liked about the first movie, but what if we made him this annoying little kid's bitch? (laughs) What if he wasn't bad to the bone? (laughs) What if he was just kind of (laughs) good? Anyways. But had leather. (laughs) We've already discussed Terminator 2 at length. Feel free to look back in our episode. I I want you... Episodography. We have impacted two lives with that discussion. Don Denham... And Joseph Kainrad, hey, we hear you, Welcome. we see you, and we cherish you. Welcome to the light, fellas. Um, um, man, uh, I guess I do want to bring up Tim Roth again. I said I would mention him later. Um, he's an English actor, <laughs> and people don't really know that because he's so good at doing an American accent that people forget he's English. And this is one of the only times we've seen him do two different English accents. He does his, like, oh, jolly oh, fucking accent. And then once, like, the facade is kind of dropped, spoilers again, once the facade is dropped, he's still English, but he's doing, like, he's like, oh, you fucking bullshit, idiot, bruv. Yeah. Fucking, yeah, fuck you, sir. (laughs) Fuck you, miss. Manchester, whatever, I don't know. Whatever the fuck they say. Uh... (laughs) I think they say ole 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 ole. Break seat, isn't it, bruv? I don't know. <laughs> Off you pop. Oh, jug on, etc. Uh, <laughs> you bloody chat. Yeah, it, like it, it's so cool just seeing him like play two completely like. There's just such a duality to all these characters, and I think he's the best example. Um from an acting standpoint of just like doing the 
chummed up version of your own accent (laughs) in the movie and then being able to drop it and be kind of your normal self yeah and kind of play a sort of um adjacent version of his pulp fiction character in a way you know yeah no it's like a, a criminal scumbag with a regular english accent good old pumpkin and or honey bun i forget which one was him um i love you too uh pumpkin <laughs> but uh minor detail i wanted to point out uh this movie takes place before 1900 people did not have great dental care in this movie did not act like that was the case and i really really appreciate that yeah. people were not regularly brushing their teeth especially not criminals gang members bounty hunters in like these rural areas but some of it them just didn't, didn't get happen. their teeth punched out and that's that was, right that was <laughs> that was displayed in this movie there was some that dental was work applied time period <laughs> some forceful dental work was applied but nobody was brushing that's all i'm saying i just i just like that detail when it's just like no this is like why would you expect them to have like perfect manicures and like brush teeth and perfectly cut and combed hair well i guess one of our actors had uh, some nice pomade in there, but more on him later. He's in the basement for right now. <sighs> Shit, that was such yeah. a. That, I'm going to go on more on that now because it was. Oh, okay. It was such an amazing reveal that like we're watching the opening credits and we're seeing all these names, and then we both go, "What the fuck, Channing Tatum?" And then mm-hmm. we'd completely forgotten about it, and then they reveal him, and we're like. <sighs> Channing Tatum is in this movie they told us and we had never seen him and we should have been wondering when he was going to show up and we weren't motherfucking Channing Tatum up to some classic Channing Tatum bullshit shooting people in the balls (laughs) I love it say adios to your huevos it's kind of a side note here it's like one of my favorite things about Interstellar which is you know don't um, if you haven't seen skip forward this is amazing but go ahead Three minutes. Skip forward three minutes. Massive spoiler for Interstellar. Please skip ahead a couple minutes. Um, No bit of marketing. Not on the poster. Nothing. Nothing. Nobody ever said that Matt Damon was in that movie. Yes. And it became very pivotal to the plot that, you know, you have your main actor. You're just like, oh, well, our characters might see this person, this person, or this person. And then person three is the big-name actor. And as an audience member, you're like, oh, they're going to go see big-name actor. Yeah. And then in Interstellar, they basically hid the fact that Matt Damon was even in it. So when they finally do get to him, you're like, oh, shit, he's in this movie. That's a similar effect with Channing Tatum. Even though they show him in, like, the opening credits, you, you totally forget he's in it. Well, and I, I didn't even realize that they did the same thing, but that's what's always appealed to me about the interstellar scene because I Welcome back everybody. Well Spo- no, spoilers keep going, in- keep going, keep going. I have something else to okay. spoil. Keep um, keep skipping. That what what always appealed to me so much was uh I thought it was a really creative use of celebrity to make the audience feel like they found a friend on a decent planet, you know, like, or on a different planet, distant planet. Mm -hmm. That's what I was trying to say. Brain fog. Um, But uh, you reveal Matt Damon and because of the actor, you didn't have to dedicate any time to this character and essentially spoil that they're going to find him. Cause why would they not? If we spent time learning about him. Right. Um, 
but you still got to have us feel like we found someone we knew you know because because they manipulated his celebrity status and Mm -hmm. then we see in this movie um welcome back everyone you're safe hateful eight hateful eight hateful eight just hateful eight from here on out um Mm -hmm. um, i have one more thing for a different movie but go ahead uh greg is gonna spoil um um sin red line oh i was gonna say steel magnolias (laughs) as a bit um but um so um you see him in the basement and you're like oh my god channing tatum and then you find out that he's a notorious gangster that you've never heard of in this whole movie that's never been mentioned, but all the characters know he's a notorious gangster. But you buy that notoriety and it doesn't feel cheap because you were like, yeah, I already felt that way because Channing Tatum showed up out of nowhere in the fucking third act in a movie he doesn't belong in. You know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, and, and it just... I think it really helped that, like... It helped us believe that that character was a big fucking deal even though no time had been dedicated to establishing that they just told us he's a big deal you know like and we were supposed to believe it and i think if it was some random no name it wouldn't have worked as well it would have felt kind of cheap i i think it's also aided by the fact that everyone that we've already established is like tarantino actors yes they're in all his movies they do even if they're not in it they'll do voiceovers in some of these movies like they're established guys that are in all of his films and then fucking channing tatum has been in nothing like this oh man like he's coming off 21 jump street or something like he's he's not was this he's you know obviously rising in celebrity and status and everything but he's not like really the dramatic film star in like big filmmakers scenes yeah was this around the time this Ah. is the end came out because channing tatum was on a on a matthew mcconaughey i'm not just for teeny bopper chick flicks redemption arc around this time period i think uh you know the magic mike thing i don't know uh i just choked on my own spit disgusting <laughs> it's almost like someone poisoned the coffee <laughs> <laughs> i am drinking coffee at uh 11 40 at night by the way yeah oh yeah speaking of time we gotta wrap this up i'm sleepy well let's let's do our best um let's let's talk about bruce dern's voice yeah that's who it was bruce dern the <laughs> uh confederate general man I love this guy, man. Oh. I, I was getting shivers a couple times, and not just because the temperature was dropping over here and snow was falling. Oh. He's he's in this. He's in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Um, he's starting to get into the Tarantino uh, filmography, mm-hmm. and this is one of his best roles, despite all the slurs he's throwing around. Yeah. But, uh, you know, it's just like, he's great. I love him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I loved him too. I I loved all the characters by the time it was all said and done. Some of them I didn't love at first. Um, well, honestly, except Kurt Russell's. Honestly, Kurt Russell, you're the fucking man. I love your work. If you ever listen to this, I would never try to insult you. Um, I, I did not like uh, any of your choices in this movie. Um, <laughs> if I wanted a John Wayne impression, uh, I'd turn on Fox News. I was about to say there's like there's 300 other movies I could watch. Yeah. Um, um, so let's talk about Tarantino's use of the gamer word. 
the PewDiePie word. So yeah. th- this is kind of uh, this is kind of where I landed in this movie because Tarantino, uh, despite is his. So I, I come from this point. Um, I do not mind a slur being used in a movie for the sake of art. Mm-hmm. You shouldn't use it as comedy, in my opinion, because it's just like, hey, that can harm people. Even if you think it's funny, don't laugh. Like it just that's hurtful to people, right? Like, um, but to use it in an artistic way to portray that racist people do exist and they do use slurs. And if you had a racist character using a racial <laughs> slur in your movie, I don't think that's wrong to do. In the same way that I do think it is wrong to just say a racial slur in life. I, I don't think that's good. Um, but um, so this movie was addressing race, not just using not just using the slurs. Race is a, is a very constant thread in this movie, um, and. I would say, you know, not really my place to say they did a good job with it as a white dude watching it, but I certainly didn't think it was tasteless, and I thought they had some powerful, powerful story threads. But this is this is my thing, right? So, in twenty twenty two, Blazing Saddles rubs me the wrong way with their mm-hmm. with their use of slurs to make a satirical point. It just it just rubs me the wrong way. It just doesn't hit right. I I don't appreciate it. I kind of you know get the like my hackles come up when they drop in bombs in that movie, and I can watch that movie and know that it was written by Richard Pryor, right? And so I'm like, hey, obviously he's not a representative of all black people, and that doesn't mean that it's you know it doesn't mean that he has black culture's approval for doing that. But this is a black person's voice addressing an issue that has affected him. And so it doesn't really offend me, even if it hits me kind of rocky, right? Mm-hmm. This movie was written by, like, the creepiest little white guy I've ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> like, and his, his BET interview um, gives me the impression that he... Uh, uh, oversteps his boundaries with having a voice in a conversation about race from his platform. Um, what did you think? I I agree with everything you're saying, and I feel like it fits with the period better to use the word. Yes, I'm not like again. I'm not upset but, that for the sake of art they use this word because I think you're fucking. I think you're doing a disservice to the history of racism and oppression if you make a movie from this time period with a black person in it and don't show how white people would have treated him. (laughs) All white people would have treated him that way. Even the ones who were like, slaves should be free would still be like, yeah, but you deserve less. You are less than me, right? It was... Even like the, the northerners would have been like, yeah, it was wrong to enslave you, but like... You are part of an inferior race, okay? Like that's so. I I think you're doing a disservice to the history of of racism and reality if you try to pretend that wasn't a thing. Yeah, I I guess my my point is just like there's a huge difference between having a movie set in this time period and doing you know using it in 
the context that we're talking about versus putting yourself in the movie in so modern times so you can say it and then giving your character a black wife uh to to kind of cover your ass as though that, that you're somehow, never on screen with that somehow proves that the character isn't racist because he married a black woman right that's that's always that's always what i got from uh tarantino's character in pope fiction um all that goes to say, coffee, I man. never thought that the, the the slurs were used just to use them in The Hateful Eight. Like, they were used in relevant ways that mattered to the story. Would you agree? Yeah, I would agree. Um, yeah. Um, do you think that Walton Goggins was really the sheriff like he said he was? We never got confirmation, but he definitely um, stuck to it to the grave. It, it's... He he yeah exactly stuck to it to the grave. I I think he was because even in what we assume is his and spoilers Samuel L Jackson's like dying moments they kind of summarize the theme of the movie by having Goggins like reading the God. quote unquote Lincoln letter and just like ha that's a nice little touch like good on yeah. good on that little lie there. Well and Vanessa pointed this out and it almost made me cry. In his dying breaths, while Walton Goggins is is reading that letter, Samuel L. Jackson is mouthing along with him, because um, he has read this letter so many times and knows it so well. And that mm-hmm. was Vanessa noticed it, and I didn't, and I was just like, "Oh fuck, oh man, you're getting me, brother." Oh, yeah, that was so, uh, so powerful. I don't know, man. Go ahead, I cut you off. I'm sorry. No, you're good. Um, that's an excellent point. I feel like in, in in that scene and in those moments that if if he hasn't already stated like yeah I was just bullshitting you guys to get a ride it would have it would have come out by then honestly like he would yeah. have said something well and my argument and is like, sorry go ahead it, like he had every reason to lie about it in the first place but he had no real reason to lie about it at the end yeah but you know at that point you've gone that far what does it even really matter yeah if someone hasn't pointed it out already um you know fuck it just yeah why bring it up my but i i I personally think that he really was who he said he was i think so too and here's why um everyone in this movie had a secret and a lie and some sort of falseness about their identity um and walton goggins I think his character was too big of a jackass to even worry about doing that. Mm-hmm. I think he just constantly said whatever popped into his brain the moment it popped into his brain and had no inhibition or impulse control. Mm-hmm. And he was just such a constant, like, dipshit, obnoxious, fucking racist idiot that I 100% believe that he held a position of authority in the police force. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Got God him. Goddamn. Nicely done. Got him. Uh, he wore it on his sleeves. Yeah, it was a... Man, thin blue line between all these lies and the truth. So, all right, I, have, um, I, have another, I have another question for you about lies and the truth. Ah, hit me. Do you think Samuel L. Jackson really made that guy suck his dick and then killed him? Or was he just trying to get a rise out of the general? Ooh. 
I mean, we saw it happen. Uh, it's it's the only story that got flashbacks, which to me kind of played as uh, kind of played as we're trying to let the audience know this isn't made up. But Vanessa also pointed out that they were very cinematic and stylized flashbacks, and Sam Jackson acknowledged them. He said, "Like you're starting was... to see pictures now, aren't you?" Fuck, damn it! All right, yeah, I was getting there. So I'm not sure. That was I was gonna. That was a spoiler for a thing later. Oh yeah. no, I'm sorry. No, you're good. I didn't mean to. That that was uh yeah. I'll spoil it. Uh, favorite line is you're starting to see pictures, ain't you? Oh, in, so... into the camera. Yeah. It made you be in the general's head and see what he was imagining, essentially. Exactly. Exactly. So that's that's why I think it could go either way. Uh, there's there's a few things that could go either way. Are there really 15 gang members coming up from Red Rock that are going to execute the whole town and then yeah. come up and save Miss Domergue? From the, well, <laughs> of the Domingue gang? M- much like the ending to a very similar kurt russell movie um anything we didn't find out we didn't find out because it doesn't matter yeah like they anything that's why we'll just uh sit there a while see what happens see what happens oh same ending <sighs> right yeah same ending mm-hmm. they both know that we're not getting out of this like it's over but we're not dead yet so I guess this is where the story ends. Go ahead and roll credits. You know, like, it's something that, like, you know, I used to think those were ambiguous endings. And I'm like, that's not ambiguous at all. Like, ambiguous is, like, we don't know who the killer was. We never got to find out. Mm -hmm. That's like, no, we know exactly what happened. We just ended it when the story ended, not when they died. Right? (laughs) Like, but we know that they died. This isn't a fucking Star Wars miniseries. No one blasted their way out of a Starlack pit uh, so we could have more money. Um, they, they died, right? <laughs> like, those characters are dead. Um, I don't know, Greg. What you got? What's your next thing, my man? Um, continuing discussion about props from Fargo. Um, the guitar that Kurt Russell smashed I forgot about that. in this movie. That was pretty dope, yeah. Uh, if I remember correctly, that was a um, an antique from a local museum. Fucking hell! And Kurt Russell didn't know that oh, and smashed the shit out no. of it. And Jennifer Jason Lee goes, whoa, 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 and starts looking around, almost looks at the camera because she's like, holy shit, he, did, he should not have done that. So her reaction was genuine, if I remember the story correctly. Ooh. Oops, Kurt. <laughs> what an expensive moment of irreparable damage during improvisation, apparently. That's right. <laughs> you did something that cannot be undone, Mr. Russell. You can't fix that. All right, um, we're getting close to midnight. You ready to get into some gimmicks? Oh, man. Um, I guess technically we probably should, and yet I feel that there is so much more to be said about this movie. Um, yeah, I've, there's a few characters we didn't even talk about. I was gonna like say, a, I kind of, if you're tired, I, I mean, I don't have work tomorrow, so who am I to say that we should do it longer? But I would acknowledge that I feel like we've kind of only done half an episode, you know, like about about the hateful eight. Um, it's a three-hour movie. It's 
Yeah, it's okay. hard to cover it all at the tail end of a three-hour podcast episode. Okay, um, if people made it this far and somehow felt like they wanted more, um, I'll I'll post my thoughts somewhere. Um, I'll leave you with this. Um, I did not expect this movie to be salvaged by a big black cock monologue, um, but here we are. <laughs> big black Johnson. That's um, right. Yeah, great fucking movie. Fantastic flick um samuel l jackson honestly uh he's always great he very rarely is like the team on my back star of the show franchise qb of a movie and uh i honestly thought this was one of his greatest performances he did so fucking good in this movie um oh yeah so and there were a lot of reveals that were very very good reveals that were set up very very well and very subtly, and that is honestly Tarantino's greatest strength of dialogue, is that he is constantly telling you really important information, and he's making it seem like it's not important. And then you remember it later when it was. You know, like that's yeah. the whole and Vince and Jules monologue in Pulp Fiction when they're talking about Tony Rocky Horror and foot massages. You think it's just two dudes shooting the shit, and it's charming, and they were actually doing so much exposition for the rest of the movie they just made you believe it wasn't and hateful eight was no different they had a lot of great stuff like that and there's there's very there's a ton of bad examples of doing that too where you're just like boy by going here i'm going to miss <laughs> i sure hope i remember to take care of this this morning and then the thing they didn't take care of you know blows up in their face or something like there's it's a thing in movies where like characters were call will call attention to something and it's just like oh the fact that they said it it means it's going to be a big deal later i'm waiting for that now mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. where this movies like this just like even though you're trying to you know pick up clues on all the different characters the mundane ones will sometimes wind up being pretty important as well mm -hmm. later on and i do like that this movie was it, it was presented in a way that was like one of these people is working with daisy and it could be up to two and then it was like three and then a fourth character we yes. didn't know about i like that a well lot. and that's okay so that's what was so brilliant is like i i always respect a movie that is like they had the protagonist be excessively smart and brilliant and still fail because the bad guys were one step ahead of him, right? Um, and that was Samuel L. Jackson's uh, character where intuitively and by playing shit he knew extremely close to the vest up until the bitter end, like the, uh, the uh, Kurt Russell is the hangman. And so they knew something was up the second Tim Roth said he was the hangman and they never told anyone and they were just like, all right. This is a setup, and you thought they were paranoid earlier in the movie, and then we find out he knew all along something was wrong, right? He knew uh, there shouldn't, like, this is nothing like Minnie and Sweet Dave would run their bar, um, and something is so off, you let me sit in Sweet Dave's chair. If you really were who you said you were, you would know I'm not allowed to sit there, and I just sat there and didn't say anything about it, right? Like, just mm -hmm. brilliant how smart our protagonist was. And how he figured out 80% of this extremely complex mystery and the 20% he missed really fucked him over. 
and it was really <laughs> and it was really impressive that he figured out 80% of it cuz it was a hell of a lot more than I figured out, right? Like that's that's a balanced move that is just great writing. Hard to write. Really really good writing to have your protagonist be that good and still fail and so you don't lose investment in him cuz you're like, "Hey, he got a hell of a lot further than I would have got, so let's see if he makes it out of this yet." You know, <laughs> like that's it's awesome. Um Mm-hmm. All right, Greg, let's do gimmicks so you can go to bed and I can uh, watch Halloween Havoc 1993. Hell yeah. Um, Greg, what is your favorite winter annoyance? Uh, I got to say, in these intense cold temperatures, I got to relate to my man, OB, my other guy poisoned by the coffee, unfortunately. Driver of the carriage, uh, he's putting the horses away. He is charged with throwing the pistols down the shithole. And when he comes back in, he just collapses to the floor and just screaming and cursing like, it's so fucking cold. I ain't ever going out that shit ever again. <laughs> he reaches onto the wall, grabs the heaviest pelt he could find, bundles himself up and lays down by the fire. Don't talk to me. I just want to get warm. It's like when you just get through with that cold, you don't give a fuck. You're just like, bundle me up, get me by some fire. Don't ask me questions. Yep um beautiful and relatable um i'm gonna go with one that i think a lot of us uh can relate to from winter holidays <laughs> and it's being trapped in a house with a bunch of racists <laughs> <laughs> that's something that uh only ever happens to me in the winter <laughs> um not to not to the current family I visit at home for for the holidays. Y'all are chill with me. Y'all don't do that shit. But uh, people who know me know that that used to be a pretty big problem in my life. Um, hey. Greg, what's your favorite line? Uh, I told you my favorite line already. Starting to see pictures, ain't you? Oh yeah. But I did I did want to give some special love to Jennifer Jason Lee, whose performance we did not give enough credit to. Not at all. She, she was, was fabulous. Wonderful. Wonderful. In this wonderful. Movie. Um, when Kurt Russell realized he's been poisoned by the coffee Daisy Domague just looks right at him and says when you get to hell John tell him Daisy sent you <laughs> ah, so good for just such a nasty bad guy I'm just like damn you're cool Yep, she, <laughs> was, she was badass man um I'm going to give two runners up, and then I'm going to pick a favorite line from the same monologue you did uh, that is a different line. Um, ah. Justice delivered without dispassion is always in danger of not being justice. Honestly, not one of the uh, the powerhouse lines of the movie, but I thought it was cool as shit to say. Um, you got to hang me, yep. bastard. Second favorite, blink if you're calm. Um, that was badass. That was, mm -hmm. that was hearkening back to bitch be cool. Um... <laughs> That was I. I felt like I was back in the diner with uh, with Jules in that in that scene, and it was and I liked it. Um, That's right. Also, I know that you Americans are disinclined to let an unconditional surrender get in the way of a good war. <laughs> Tim Roth gets I love us, that one, um, man. but I'm gonna go with this because I, I just got fucking chills, and it completely took me from zero percent invested in the movie to a million percent invested in the movie. I know the day he died. The day he met me. Mm -hmm. What a mm -hmm. fucking 
stone cold killer ass line to say from a stone cold killer ass actor in Samuel L. Jackson. No one could have done it like you did it, my man, and I am just such a big fan of Samuel L. Jackson's work. Greg, what's your critic or score? Um, I have a lot of praise for this movie, but like I said, the first 30, 40 minutes for me could have done with a whole lot less. Mm -hmm. I love Tarantino. I do think this is on the mid to lower end of his movies, but still a good one. Uh, I gave this one a 33 out of 40. Nice. Nice. Um, I was, I was... I, I don't have many Tarantinos below 40, and I thought this was going to be one of them. Um, but honestly, man, the back half, the finale, and finding out that everything I was bored with uh, served to make all that cool violence mean something, uh, I gave it a 46 out of 50. And if uh, Kurt Russell just acted like a fucking normal guy for the whole movie, it would have got a 47. Um, Docked a <laughs> point for him just impersonating John Wayne the whole time. Jesus, man. What was that about? I don't know. <sighs> Denny, what are we doing next week, buddy? Whoa, 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 wait, wait, whoa, wait, wait. Whoa, 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 whoa. What is the best movie for when you're having a hashtag cold boy winter? I'm going to go with Fargo. I'm going to go with your pick. Um, I'm going to go with Fargo cool. also. I can't really say why other than if I weren't making this podcast and it was snowing outside and I'd already watched The Thing and I had to watch one other movie, out of these mm -hmm. three I'd pick Fargo. Um, yeah, one, one of the things we were a little remiss that we couldn't do The Thing for this episode because we already did it. I cannot recommend more drinking whiskey neat while you watch the thing at night with snow on the ground. I just can't recommend an experience more than that. It's so amazing. Um, oh, without winter wind. Oh, yeah. Hell, yeah. Um, yep, so we're in consensus. Um, and next week, we are doing movies for when you want to see a movie under 90 minutes. Right? Is You've that only got... Yeah, that's, that's what I was going to yeah. say. You've only got 90 minutes, and you want to watch a good movie... What do you pick, man? I've actually That's, I've got my pick. Do you have yours? I do have mine. I'm ready to enter yours. Um, so <clears throat> I have been wanting to choose this movie for a for this podcast for a long time, and I've been waiting for us to watch it and talk about it because I love it so much. And uh, when I googled movies uh, under 90 minutes, I was shocked to find that this was one of them because I never noticed it. So I did not think mm -hmm. I would be picking it for this theme, but my pick is Frances Ha. Greta Gerwig, baby. Everything she touches turns to gold. We're going to watch Frances Ha next week. Greg, what do you got? Very nice. Uh, I've got a very, very, very different movie than you. Lay it on. 1999's animated classic. The Iron Giant. I have been wanting to rewatch that because I haven't seen it since theaters, and I think I was a little too young for it. Like, you know, like seriously, like everybody mm -hmm. loves it and says it's a really powerful movie, and I didn't like it when I was a kid, and I, I think I was too young for it. Like seriously, even though it's an animated movie, um, yeah, I, I am. Well, I've been wanting to give it another shot, and I'm really excited for this. Um, me too. We gonna let the audience pick number three? 
Yeah, we'll let the audience pick number three. Uh, when we say 90 minutes or less, or less, if there's a couple minutes of credit, you know, you got some leeway. No, no, no. You, this was no? not approved no? by me. This was oh, not approved okay. by me. Ty Running time has to be less than one hour in 30 minutes. We're talking now. even tighter than a tight 90. We want, yeah. we want... Iron Giant is 126, hey, so we're good. Mine's 128. Frankenstein is 70. Um, yeah, that's right. Too bad we already that did that one. one. I'd do it again. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, the Wolfman is also 70 minutes, but you know what? It's not as good as Frankenstein or a lot of other movies under 90 minutes that we could have picked, so I didn't do it. Um, all right, Greg. Is that is that what we've got? Do we have anything else today? Uh, 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 if you follow our Instagram, I promise I'll post on it one day. But yeah. but, but I'm not posting until we get 10,000 followers, and then... Uh, oh, then Jesus. we will have our historic first post unveiling. It's going to be the picture of me and you watching cats or some shit. Um, Denny, oh, I, I just talked to my manager, and he's never done this before. But he's going to let me knock $100 off that catchphrase. It's the same every time. It's always war. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking liar. <laughs> For Greg Work, the Leg Work Johnson, I'm Denny the Talent Taylor, and this has been Movies for When? Not for old time's sake, I'll tell you that much. Movies for now, and we already told you when. When you're on a holiday, you can't find the words to say. All the things that come to you, and I want to feel it too. On and on.